And as always, I'm pretty sure I already did this bit on the Memento episode. Uh, tune in next week for Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, go to our Shopify page for some real nerdy merch. Go to blankies.reddit.com for some real nerdy shit. Thanks to Joe Bowen and Pat Rounds for our artwork. Thanks to Lee Montgomery for our theme song. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great. I, don't, I, I never say anything at the end. I was going to join in. Look, this episode's a little bit inverted. It is. I, I, I don't. Ha- I just don't have an ending thing. You don't. You don't. I mean, right. I, I'm, you know, that's fine. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, it's fine. The thing that the thing that you do at the end is realize that we've been friends this entire time. Mm, you know what I'm saying? You I realize do. we've been we've been biffles this whole time for me this is the the end of a long and beautiful friendship i can't remember the line exactly but whatever that that. is yeah Yeah. he says i i I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship and the rob pattinson goes no no bro it's the ending i don't know right (sighs) hello everybody we're talking Uh, tenet tenet we're doing it it's 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 a rare occurrence. It's an odd occurrence to talk about a new release film this many months after its release. Uh, there are a couple times where we've been a little out of sync with the director we're covering. So Dumbo was a little bit late and Detroit was a little bit late. But now we're doing this more than a little late and, and The Witches more than a little late. It's like our podcast is un, is untethered from the time stream. What? I'm doing like a backwards. I'm walking backwards. David's doing a backwards man. He can go backwards fast as you can. Tenet, guys. Tenet. It, uh, here. So yes. Uh, um. Uh, blank check. Come on. Come on. Let's uh, let's introduce this show, guys. This is very exciting. We're I can't, finally I can't, after David. I can't introduce the show. I just ended it. Okay. Fair enough. Uh. Okay. Well. Um. I'm still David Sims, and Griffin uh, this is a podcast where we discuss directors' filmographies, and we well, once the, the, discussed. Yeah. I'm, I'm not getting everything out of the, okay. you know, but but we did once discuss the filmography of Christopher Nolan. We did, we have, and right, you know, and it was in 2017 before the release of his last movie, mm-hmm. and then uh, in 2020 he released his new movie Tenet. And it saved movie theaters. Right. It totally saved movie theaters and went over normal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was great. And here we are to review it because, of course, we wanted to wait until it was available on demand because, uh, you know, you know, things are normal, but, you know. Maybe not everyone got to see it in Labor Day. Well, we should say a couple of things. First of all, things are not normal. Second of all. We should say right up uh, up top, we we went and saw this in a theater. David, you saw this as a critic. The Atlantic rented out a theater for you back yep. in whatever it was, August, La- September. Uh, yeah, late August, right. You know, right, right before Labor Day. Because yeah. it came out Labor Day weekend. Uh, we went and saw this at a theater in New Jersey. We rented out a screen uh, just a couple of days before it went on to VOD. We sort of, the last window maybe of it playing in theaters... I was overcome with the impulse to see it. Uh, I have been uh, barely doing anything all pandemic. 
I don't say this as justification as I've earned the right to go break some rules, but it was one of those things where I was like, fuck it, this is my thing. This is my one cheat this year. Is one cheat too many? Perhaps. I don't know, but I've also been doing less than almost anyone I know. Uh, I barely see anybody. So we rented out a movie theater in New Jersey for $150. It was uh, astonishingly cheap. Uh we were in the swamps of Secaucus. We were in the swamps of Secaucus. Uh, it was a nice little theater, I gotta say. I was kind of into it. Little is maybe not the word, but it was like a indie multiplex. It was an indie multiplex. I looked into it. It was like a chain that got largely bought out by AMC, and most of their theaters were converted to AMCs, and this is one of the few that is still owned by the original family. They didn't get this location. Carasotes. The chain is called Carasotes. That's the name of the chain? I was trying to figure that out. So that's yeah. just a family name, right? That's that the family name, and there was a video before the movie from Mr. Carasotes. Am I wrong also in thinking that Mr. Carasotes is the name of the guy who eats too much and then explodes in vomit in Monty Python and the Meaning of it Life? It does sound right. <laughs> I don't think it's quite that, but... Oh, all right, now I have to look it up. Uh, Monty Python... Vomit guy. Um, uh, vomit scene sure mr you're right it's mr creosote very very similar okay you know that uh scene really freaked me out when i was a kid is that normal uh i i don't know it's funny i mean i feel like i'm the one who usually talks about things having freaked me out when i was a kid i just thought that was one of the funniest scenes ever made it, it is funny like i think even yeah. as a kid i mean what what's it a uh, wafer thin you know like you know that it is funny i just remember it's so gross <laughs> and insane i think when i was a kid i was like overwhelmed by it that scene always was hilarious to me and i'm the guy who was uh terrified of austin powers the first time i saw it Right, because he was frozen. Too scary. Too scary. Uh, this Carousel's chain, yes, they they got bought out by AMC. They now have only a very small selection of. They operate six theaters in all of the United States, and one of them is in Secaucus, New Jersey. The point here is they played a video. It's four of us in the theater. Okay, Griffin, David, Ben, Ben, significant other. We're in the theater alone. We pay $150 for the four of us to see it. Did not seem like there was a single person seeing one other movie in the theater, right? No, literally there was a person outside the theater, like, and Ben enjoyed this person. And she <laughs> like basically like unlocked the door to the, I mean, to the, to the front of the movie of the multiplex to let yes. us in. She yeah. was like, wait, wait, what are you here for? And we were like, oh, we booked a theater. And she's like, right. Okay. Okay. You know, come on in. But, like they were, they, like yeah. they were almost hoping that no one would show up. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there was like passive aggressive energy there. for sure. Mm -hmm. Which I sympathize. It's a strange time to be operating a multiplex, obviously. But yes, uh, yes no. Griffin, Tenet, the film by Christopher Nolan, came out in Labor Day. You didn't see it. You, 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 you know. I think you flirted with it a couple times, right? Well, let me, let me, let me unpack this a little bit. Okay. okay sure. Sure. I was very staunchly against theaters reopening. I've been very against uh, most things reopening, even though I yep. understand the necessity of people having to uh, work for a living. Uh, I do find uh, this to be uh, the this capitalist hellscape of uh, how America has uh, thrown people into the furnace in order to keep uh, our big industries alive during a pandemic. 
uh, it just felt like a movie theater is a thing that's fundamentally going to be unsafe to do. Why reopen it? And I also had the fear that reopening prematurely would doom the businesses. Low grosses would speed up the death of it as a, a business, which uh, freaked me out because movie theaters are one of the only things that I like in the world. Um And so I was like very against it and very much like I'm not going to go to a movie theater until I'm vaccinated. I cannot see a thing changing my mind on that. And then a couple of things happen. One is uh, the reopening of movie theaters was a disaster. Uh, People have not been going. People just weren't going. Yeah. Which, look, on one hand, I understand. On the other hand. It's like a ding. Is that just uh me? Yeah, no, I hear that. I kind of heard a buzzing. Yeah, there's a weird buzz noise, kind of inverted noise. (laughs) One of those classic inverted noises. I know. I don't. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. I'm marginally confused by how movie theaters are the thing that people are really reticent to do, and so many other businesses seem to be uh, immune. In yes. terms of uh, idiots uh, throwing willful abandon towards having fun in the short term. Uh, right. Because in a movie theater, you ostensibly sit silently, which would seem to be less. But anyway, whatever, whatever. Which, which look, I guess I guess I get the fear. It was the fear that drove me at the beginning, which was like, I don't want to go see a fucking Christopher Nolan movie opening weekend with a packed crowd with a right. bunch of people jammed in like sardines. And in the middle of the movie, the guy next to me takes off his fucking mask. We've right. all totally. experienced bad behavior from moviegoers. But as the months wore on and it became clear that people were not going to movie theaters, uh, the idea of going to a movie theater to see Tenet became more and more appealing to me because I was like, I weirdly no feel there. right. there's <laughs> less risk than going to a restaurant. Like I absolutely yeah. I have I have really struggled to get my head around even outdoor dining, let alone indoor dining. When I walk by bars and restaurants that are open, people are just there with their masks off. It, it fucking breaks my brain. Uh, and I'm not someone who's been like hanging out with people indoors with masks off or anything. I've been uh, so overly cautious, but it was just sort of like something about the wild failure of movie theaters reopening makes it now feel like movie theaters are one of the safer places to be and we were also renting out a screen at a theater Mm -hmm. that's a little bit uh, isolated off the beaten path so it just felt like oh there's probably not going to be anyone there my fear the entire time was some guy walks in after seeing a fucking 215 war with grandpa and sneaks into the second half of tenant and sits right down next to me because it was four of us sitting at different ends of the theater with our mask on, right? Yeah, but there no, but no there's no one around. I mean, it was the same thing uh that happened when I saw it the last time. There's just there's no one around. No there's one's no one even thinking of going. It's just not no. a thing. I thought about it a number of times and one time I even booked You did. I uh, screening and then I took a nap and then I woke up and I was like I'm not going to take a path train to go see Tenet in New Jersey by myself. But I finally talked you guys into doing it. Uh, and so we did it. It's one of these weird things where it's like, I feel somewhat hypocritical because I'd been so anti-movie theater going, uh, and I've been such a fucking COVID scold about everyone's behavior all the time. Uh, and it's not like I endorse it, but I also did walk away from it being like, it feels more safe than most things right now. Uh, I I, I try not to scold anything because... For this exact reason, because it's everyone's different, and you know, whatever, whatever. I can't, I can't worry about it. I go crazy. I go well. Th- that's my choice. My choice is that I. Your go choice crazy. has been to go crazy, right? Yeah, correct. Um, but uh, I will say, both times I did it, certainly 
Right. My my anxiety was not particularly high. Ben, I don't know how you felt, but, you know, there's just no one around. We were all safe. Like, I don't know. We just did all the things you're supposed to do. It was just an opportunity to do something that I hadn't done in so long and feel just a little bit normal. I felt a little bit normal. That's the thing. You drove me, Ben, and that's what we talked about in the car ride back. Uh, is just like your your significant other was like, I feel high right now. And I was like, I don't even feel high. I feel even. This is the first time I felt even. I've been in withdrawal for the last nine months, 10 months, whatever. And now I just vaguely feel human for the next handful of hours. Yeah. I got absorbed into a movie and forgot about everything for however long this like two hour movie. It was great. It was daylight. And then it was night when we left. I know. And and, and I was trying to figure out what the hell I was watching. Right. Like we went to a dark room. We were all in that room together, but we weren't talking to each other. We were sitting in different parts of the theater. The lights went down. We turned our phones off. And for two and a half hours, we just thought about gobbledygook. We thought about Christopher <laughs> Nolan and his pretentious goofiness. And it was yeah. great. And you you said it so well, Ben, where, where you were like, it was so nice to watch a movie about people trying to like stop an apocalypse. Like it felt like yeah. a relief to be focused on a fake, phony, baloney bullshit end of the world threat rather than all of the real end of the world threats. Like to just have this complete escapist experience to just be engulfed by this screen and, and his weird inaudible sound mix. <laughs> yes. For two and a half hours, plus some trailers. I don't know. I just felt so good that to some degree, I throw this all as a preface. I don't even really know what I think of this movie. Like I certainly enjoyed watching it. I think I understood 20% of it at most. I was just fucking vibing on this thing so hard, partially because, A, it's the first hit I've gotten in almost a year of my mm-hmm. main of my main fix, right? And B, because it is such an elemental fucking Nolan movie of just, like, sound and movement and imagery and shit and fucking suits and explosions and vehicles and whatever that I just had the distinct thought at several points like I would be very happy if this went on for 12 hours I barely know what's happening in this movie I would just be happy watching this as like a just a feed just as a raw feed for a day I wish this were Andy Warhol's empire I (laughs) wish this was just endless uh but David you've seen the movie twice now no, 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 no. Well, I watched it again before, uh, you know, uh, since we went to the theater. Oh, wow. So you've seen it twice in theaters and then you bought the steel book and you've watched it once at home now. That's correct. And in between your first and second theater going experiences, you spent a lot of time on like uh, Reddit and... Uh, uh. I don't know about a lot, you know, a little time. I, I you, snuck around. You dug right. into I, the I, rabbit holes of people trying to crack this movie, right? Def- definitely, definitely, definitely. Like, uh, watching it for the third time at home, how much do you feel like you get what's going on while you're watching the movie? Oh, I've, uh, yeah, I totally get it. I, I love this movie. This movie rules. I Yeah, I, except the, the, the final sequence is the one where that's going to take me a while. Um, I feel like there's, there's j- just in terms of geography, just in mm-hmm. terms of what, what's supposed to, what's, who's doing what, when during the big fight. But apart from that, oh yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I look, 
I mean, Ben basically said this when we left. Forky said this after we watched it at home. She was like, he he just made a movie for you. It's for you. It's yeah, really it's, for you. It's just a movie that it's Christopher wanted to watch. She was like, you know, pretty into this, I would say, for, I don't know, maybe an hour. And then after that, she was just like, ah, no, I can't. And I feel like that's been a lot of people's reaction to Tenet, right? There's some point at yeah. which they're just kind of like, no, I, I, I don't. I don't care enough to tr- do the really hard work of trying to keep up with everything here. So I'm going to kind of mentally tap out at this point, right? It, like that's the yes. negative to hit on Tenet. It, it is absolutely a movie that makes you do the lion's share of the work in a way that is very unusual for a film of this size. Um, right. Although it also, it's trying to do the advice. So it's just like, don't worry about it. Just feel it. It's going to be, you know, like there's that early sure. sequence where she's, but yes, yes, you are correct. Uh, But but I also, to me, to some degree, like, A, it feels like uh, this movie's a present for David. Uh, It's a movie all about rules and the movie's a puzzle. Uh, And uh, to another degree, this movie feels like Nolan's response to everyone clowning on how much of Inception is spent explaining Inception, Right. right? He's like, yeah. Fuck you. It'll be the whole movie next time. But but it's almost the opposite. Like Inception is just like here are very clear emotional stakes for each character. Right. We sure, understand right. who these people are. There is like a lot of sort of personality in the little scenes. There's a ton of setup before you actually get to the shit going crazy. And there's so many scenes where people like take the time to stop and with a chart explain everything that you're going to see before you see it. And everyone made fun of how much of that movie is like seminars. Oh, so right. So you're saying this time he was just like, fine, whatever. I'll right. just yell at you a little bit and then throw you into the next set piece. Right. He's like, oh, you're you're telling me you don't like how much instruction manuals right right fine absolutely i'll just throw you into the deep end i'll have people yell shit mid-action you know um which i do think we have to talk about like all the different elements to this movie and it's already weird legacy but that nolan very much positioned this movie as like i think this can be the movie that saves cinemas right and aside from the fact that he made his move very prematurely, uh, it also is not the kind of movie that was ever going to function that way. I think this movie no. was always going to turn people off a little bit, especially in relation to his other movies. Yeah, this was always right. If this had just if 2020 had been a regular old movie season, I don't know. The movie would have made money. People would have seen it. Warner Brothers gave it the, you know, appropriate tentpole mm-hmm. you know push but yeah it, i think it would have been a more minor people would have been i think somewhat hit. disappointed yeah. by it and yeah. now it is saddled with just like unrealistic expectations right uh circumstances yes. that were designed to make it look like a failure no matter what and i've even just seen in the last whatever it's been four days since it came out on home video I think it's been four days from the time we're recording to when it came out on home video um, that and and VOD and what have you uh, that there's already been the sort of like people being like, that's it. And the backlash to the backlash and all that shit. There was a tiny backlash on its theater release, but obviously most people, but there was a little bit of that in September and now Mm -hmm. there's more. Right. And I think that would have been the reaction. It would have been like, 
It's like Black Hat. It's like, it, you know, hardcore fans would yeah. have been, are going fucking wild and hooting and hollering. But a lot of people would have been like, no, he's up his own ass. I don't, I, I what? Like, that's that the other skip, thing. Right. That's the other thing is this movie is, fuels the most Michael Mannish to me of all of Christopher Nolan's movies. And people talk mm. about how inspired he is by Michael Mann. Uh, we certainly have talked about it. But, I feel like Nolan does have that kind of populist streak in him where he wants to make movies that are accessible and enjoyable to the masses. Right. And like, whereas Michael Mann has that, like, I don't give a fuck if you don't understand what these people are saying kind of thing to him. And this feels like him applying that sensibility to the Nolan thing where it's just like, I'm dropping you in. I'm not slowing down. I'm not holding your hand. I'm fucking going for it. I also think those types of movies are particularly best seen in theaters with total immersion. And right. I just like the entire time I was watching this, I went like, I'm so uh, thankful that I pulled the trigger on uh, going to the fucking Carousel theater with you guys. And it's last week of release because I would not want to have to watch this movie at home for the first time. If there's anything distracting you away from the screen, it is so easy to just feel completely lost with this movie, as opposed to just sitting there in a theater and going like, I get that I'm not going to get all of it, whatever. I'm just, I'm, I'm handing myself over to this thing. Um, yes, I want to say several things. Okay. One, because I've seen a lot of this on the internet. Christopher Nolan definitely is a, a hubristic creature who thought that he could save cinema. I don't think yeah. that's untrue or whatever. Who wanted the movie in theaters, thought maybe things could rebound in the summer. Like that, that is definitely a part of it. Sure. Uh, it's released. But I do feel like people have forgotten that theaters were begging, begging studios to release big movies throughout, you know, and and really wanted to reopen. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, possibly foolishly like right right you know like they were like it's fine we'll do a video of us spraying down the seats like right which is what we saw we saw mr Carisot, it's the world's least right. charismatic man sitting <laughs> dead-eyed in a theater saying like it's Looking safe to it's the safe. cue cards in the corner of the screen yes right right while as like people in hazmat suits spray <laughs> around him right and um, of course, also, this movie did far better in Europe and extremely well in China in you know countries where, uh, especially during the summer, COVID was um, really subsiding. And of course, mm-hmm. America, yeah, fucked I'm not it gonna, up. I don't think we did a very good job. I'm just, yeah. just going to say it. I, I think we did a kind of a shitty job. Uh, no good, very bad, doomed us. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there was that issue as well. Um, just because I feel like I've just seen a lot of like, well, fuck that movie. I mean, Christopher Nolan single-handedly killed the theater business. I'm like, I know the, the, the pandemic is issue A, obviously, in uh-huh. killing the theater business. And some fucking studio was going to try this shit. Like, yes. someone was going to throw a movie out there, most likely a movie like Tenet that was planned for early, you know, like for a summer release. Yeah. And they didn't want to delay it for a year, you know, like, and some, and of course, Nolan was like yes of course theaters i i am the, the the saint of theaters like this is my clarion cause and we will i right I, we gotta I, do I, it yes i think you're right it could have been mulan just as easily it could have been one of many other films there's something about the fact that he is such a as you said like the patron saint of the theater 
and and sort of the old fashioned big screen experience and all of right, that. Right, right. Uh, but also it was like, you know, reported that he internally was like, I think this is the movie that can save yes. theaters. I, that he I did, by all accounts, yes. have a little bit of that Tom Cruise, like, you don't understand. Everyone's hey. looking for me, at, looking to me to save this. You know who saw this movie? Tom Cruise. Big movie, big screen. Yeah, what, big I movie, can't big remember screen. what he said. Whatever, he said, whatever, I love the movie. It's blanket, thank you. No, it's true. Look, it could have been another, it could have been another movie, but the difference is if it had been Mulan or it had been anything of that sort, if it had right. been Crude's A New Beginning or whatever, they would have just been like, oh, this studio fucked it up. With Nolan, it was so clear, right. even just to like the day after the HBO Max announcement, uh, I posted on Twitter this video that he made. The, uh, the India video. Right, because it's finally opening in theaters in India, being like, it's ready, it's safe, you can all go, this is how a movie's meant to be seen on the big screen. Like, he was really trying to be, like, the ambassador of, mm-hmm. it's safe again, we can't let this thing die. And I think, A, it was not the right movie to pin those sort of hopes on, and B, it no. was way, way too early. Way, way, way too early. And the, the reality is, I think the only way that movie going feels safe is doing exactly what we did. I say feels safe because everything is only safe on a relative scale when there's a fucking invisible virus in the air that could kill us all. Uh, but but ultimately, that's not a sustainable model for these theaters to just be renting out screens to four dipshits. It's just the <laughs> best they can do now because, like, it's either that or no tickets sold. It was, I think it was one of those things where they were, like, more, right, like, you know, we, we'll find a balance. There's levels of survival we're prepared to accept, to quote yeah. Agent Smith. And then they couldn't even pull that off. Right. Because people didn't want to go because it's a virus and because America fucked it up. And yeah. it was just still there. And obviously, the best way to deal with any of these things is to pay businesses to stay closed and pay people to stay in their homes. And of course, uh, we didn't do that. And I don't know if you know this, but the president was was and still is Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, who... I, you know, I just think has had a really mixed record as the leader of the country. The release of Tenet in and of itself, an absolutely insane thing that will be discussed and puzzled over for the rest of Nolan's life, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. And it, it, and also, I mean, you know, with the, the full ripple effects of like him calling HBO Max the worst streaming service on the planet. It's that like ruled. We're, I had yeah, no problem with that. But it's like there's a really good chance this is the end of his relationship with Warner Brothers as yes. well. And that Warner Brothers was one of the more traditional movie studios still in existence. That seems to have gone by the wayside. And you have to wonder what the rest of his career is going to look like. Like to some degree, it is. Perhaps not fair, like it is not an accurate sample size, but I do think that executives are going to look at Tenet and go like, maybe that type of movie is over. Maybe the Nolan thing doesn't really make sense in a current business model. And I did watch this movie and I'm so grateful that it is a movie, but I could see people like now being counters looking at this and being like, why would we spend over $200 million for one two and a half hour thing that isn't going to become a franchise when we could give him like $200 million to make 10 episodes of a TV show or whatever the fuck. And the well, answer is not going to do that. No, no. Yeah. But I'm just saying for them, there'd be like, why would we green light this? They, for that amount of money, the, it should be a season. It should be a miniseries. No, it, no, no. Nolan is on the Tarantino level where David, he... 
I am not saying that Nolan is ever going to take that offer. I'm saying I think to a certain degree, executives are going to go, why would we ever make that? I think, no, I disagree with you. Like he, he is on the Tarantino level. He, if, would he, were he released from his Warner Brothers deal, which I don't know if he can be. Uh Uh-huh. And he was like, open season, who wants me? They would fall over themselves to get him. Like he, it doesn't matter. Like, cause this movie still made almost $400 million during a pandemic. Sure. But let's, let's call out. During a pandemic and it wasn't even that like well-liked and like, no, people, I mean, Tarantino made the hateful eight had worked with Harvey Weinstein for his entire career. Yes. And after that falls apart, he was like, who wants me? Here's how it's going to work. I get the rights. I get final cut. I get so much of the money and my movie costs so much money. And like every studio bid on him. Every studio was like, very yes, aware. please. Very right. aware. And they are in many ways, sort of like the last two. Yeah. Excuse me. Well, hold out to an old model. Oh, right. well, camera. Yeah, but I mean, and Spielberg. Uh, uh, yeah. right. But um, everything you just said in terms of like Tarantino's deals that he set up, it, Nolan is like that times two. I mean, his budgets are just so big, you know? Mm, this one was big. This was a really expensive movie, but Dunkirk was not that expensive. Like, you know, he can make a movie for $100 million. You know what I mean? Like, you know, whatever. He'll do sure. it. He'll, he'll do mean, whatever he wants. In, in or he'll make a Inception, smaller movie. The three Batman. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, all of this is uh, uh, curious and hard to predict. But I wonder if they're going to ask him to tighten the belt next time. That's my oh, real maybe. question. I mean, I also don't know what does he want to do next time. Like, it feels like, and if we should talk about the Ark of Nolan, because, of course, this is Blank Check, and we've spent a whole miniseries doing that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If, like... You know, Inception had elements of this, but like this is the Bond movie that he's always dreamed of. And as he said, he's like worked on this movie. Like, well, he's had the idea for this movie since he was like a kid, which, you know, is sort of the vibe of the original Nolan projects often. Like, the, yeah, the 12 year olds to, you know, mental toy box, like in the hands of a visual master. Well, also, this thing I love about Nolan of just like this very sort of sophisticated British man with the slicked back golden hair and the finely tailored suits saying something as if it's really profound. And if you read it on paper, you're like, this could be a five year old saying like, I think it'd be cool if cars went backwards. (laughs) Well, this is the thing about Tenet. It it really felt like because like even Dunkirk was a huge hit. Right. Like, you know, Right. right. Like, so like it's like. They were keep. They're just going to keep giving him the money, and so Tenet, even after the Dark Knight, if he had walked into a studio and he sold them an Inception, which was mm-hmm. it's. A, but if he had walked into the studio and he was like, "All right, listen, guys, okay, so like you can go backwards if you go through this machine, and the guy's going to go for. He's not going to have a name, you know. Like if he tried to pitch them on this thing, I think they just would have been like, "Oh, I don't know." And so Inception, he's like, "Well, what about the Dream Thieves movie?" And they're like. Yeah, I guess that one's easier to handle. Let's do the Dream Thieves movie, right? Like, this feels like yeah. the apotheosis of but, wild but also, Nolan pitches. It's like Inception has the basic pitch you can give, which is like, it's a man who like operates in this weird sci-fi concept. 
Mm. He lost his wife to it. He's been locked out of the country where his kids are. He's desperately trying to get back to him. This mysterious businessman comes to him, offers him a deal that would allow him to clean the decks right, and get back to his family. Classic Hollywood formula there, embedded there, even without the time travel. There's right. a thing, right. It's the one right. last job, he's going to be able to be with his family. And you're like, right. yeah, okay, The classic cool, Hollywood cool. story, man forever haunted by his dead wife. And right, this one, right. Nolan's like, first of all, wife's alive. The twist on this movie is the wife doesn't want to be killed in the future. <laughs> Just on this movie is everyone's trying to kill the wife and I won't let it happen. Right. And the wife is married <laughs> to the bad guy. Right. The, wife's married the good to the guy bad is guy. trying to stop the wife from becoming dead. But also he's like. You know, like I just imagined him at the end and he's like, and the ultimate, ultimate thing that was going on is he's actually been friends with Robert Pattinson the whole time. It's the and doofiest like, twist huh? and I'm such a sucker for it. Right. I you're like, so it. here's, here's the, here's the idea. Okay. These characters barely have names. The, the main guy is literally just called protagonist. They seem to not care about each other at all. And the twist at the end of the movie is, oh, actually they used to be pretty tight. Hey, he knows he likes diet. He knows he likes I mean, the Diet Coke. Yeah. That's um, some personal shit right there. That's some personal this, shit. Th- this is what I'm... Ah, God, I love this movie. It's so good. Oh, God, I when mean, are look, people going to figure it out? It's I'm really I'm really into this movie, too. I saw someone on Reddit predicting that I was going to hate it because it doesn't have like characters oh, and Griffin. emotional arcs. I almost got in there and started yelling. I was just like, I think he likes it. Like, But then I was like, I guess I should wait for the episode. Maybe Griffin does hate it. Even though no. you, you you had good vibes coming out of the theater, yeah, I had really good vibes coming out of the theater. I I ordered my uh, steel book; it hasn't arrived yet. I mean, I'm like into this movie, but to some degree, I have a hard time like uh, extricating uh, my feelings from the larger feelings tied into the experience of being able to go to a movie theater for the first time, whatever and what have you. But also, I just think like. You know, when I like uh, voice my frustration with something like Rogue One, it's because I feel like that is a fairly conventional movie that is lacking in character arcs and sure. that sort of like uh, intimate uh, emotional kind of stakes. Whereas this movie is mostly just a like, wouldn't this be a cool thing to see a movie do kind of movie? Which is enough for me to get on board. Like, guess what? Seeing shit go backwards is <laughs> really fucking cool. It, it, it turns out it it's rules. Great. And I there's, think, yes, no, uh, there's something just about it being the most analog special effect in the world, that's, right? That's what I love like, about it. One of the earliest things people realized is like, oh, you could roll the thing backwards and then shit looks crazy. And he's like, here's the idea. It's just that... I mean, I I have the stat here, but uh, the number of special effect shots in this movie is 280. That, which is, just to be clear, very few for a movie that cost $200 million and is enormously elaborate. Right. It's less than most uh, romantic comedies. Like right. Dark Knight, you know, 12 years ago, 650 shots. Dark Knight Rises, 450. Inception 500, Dunkirk uh, 429. So, like, Dunkirk was thought of as, like, a pretty scaled-down movie for him. This is wow, 280. That is, that is actually incredibly impressive. I, I yeah. didn't realize it was... That is wild. 
Right. And and even to the degree that I just noticed like several scenes, several shots, several close-ups in this movie where Elizabeth Debicki is clearly having like a breakout on her face and mm-hmm. there's like basic concealer done to try to like patch up her her zits. Uh mm-hmm. Which nowadays just is always CGI'd out. It's always right. CGI'd out. You just airbrush everyone's faces. Right. And it's just like her complexion is different in a couple scenes. There are a couple scenes where she has different bumps on her face. It, it, like he's going out of his way to be like, I'm doing as much of this in camera as possible, even if it fucks up continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, especially on the big screen, it's really cool how... Uh, everything feels very real, I would say. And I'm yeah. sure you would agree. Uh, things like the crazy stunt of them climbing up a building or them driving a airplane into a warehouse. Um, those are just things they did. Like, it, it's great. Um, dropping gold bars, right? Dropping bars. It's also just that thing that I, like, I hadn't forgotten about, but I, I've now gone so long without i mean for me where i'm usually seeing like several movies in theaters a week you know sure uh it, it, to go nine ten months without any of this to just be like i i sat up in like the second or third row i set up really close and you guys yeah. were like you want to sit that close and i was like i just want to be completely overwhelmed by this thing i want to be so fully immersed in it my neck was craned up it was like, you know, extended beyond my immediate uh, plane of vision. And just like anytime there in any shot, just getting so caught up in the different textures of everything, you know, just like every new environment and the way the light hit everything and the different materials of their suits. And as you said, like the shininess of the gold or whatever, uh, it's just a, it's a very tactile movie. Uh, and it very much is an argument for that kind of like analog tactility. I I, I fully agree. It's got a vibe like to it that vibe. I can't figure out. It's cool, like for him, um, just like slick. But I, I think it's I think it's also that he's playing it cool, Ben. Like I think it's that part of what we like about Nolan is that he's a big old dork. And sure. he like cannot help but put these like very goofy, broad emotions into it that his movies are always just about like, man, I really love my family. Right. And that he's like so proud to show you all the work he did. And this is one of the only times that he's sort of like held shit back. You know, yes. it feels like he's it's really. There, yeah. But it's a little, a little more held back or a little less hard on sleeve or whatever. Yeah, which to be fair, like I like the the uh, uh, sentimentality of Nolan, but it is yeah. interesting to watch him. Like this movie just feels like a bunch of different exercises that he's doing. Like I want to see if it's possible to do a movie like this, if it's possible to write a script like this, if it's possible to tell a story this way. Also, entertainment too, of course. It's, it's but, but that almost feels secondary. Like it almost feels like he's figured out how to make something that's entertaining to people, right? But then the eggheads come in and they note him to death. So he's just like, "What if I put out of my mind that that basic people pleasing gene that I have, right? What if I put that on the bench for a little bit and just try to like almost construct this like an intellectual exercise?" I think there's thematic stuff going on, but we'll we'll talk about there it. There is I have a lot of there's thematic of stuff going on, but it, but it's it, that's the thing. It's it's more uh, very little of it is terrestrial. 
Um, we're gonna we we're gonna. I mean, talk he about Tenet. this villain is he is <laughs> the idea of him is crazy. Yeah. I like have I've really been that's something I've been caught up on where I'm like this guy is like I'm taking everything with me. What a fucking oh, yeah. nut. Yeah, and I believe it, man. I believe that shit could happen Absolutely. if you gave the wrong evil motherfucker the power. I also love the scene where he is like, so how does he figure into this? And it's like, absolutely just right guy, right place, right time. Right. Like this totally. guy has no importance in and of himself. He just he, dug uh, up a thing right, right that a, just a, popped a, up. Yeah. A cruel society threw this guy into the gaping maw of like cleaning up the wreckage of, uh, you know, nuclear destruction. And right. he happened to be the guy who found the suitcase full of gold and unlocked all this shit. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, he did. So Tenet Griffin, mm-hmm. Christopher yes. Nolan's Tenet. He said yeah. he conceived of the ideas over the course of 20 years. I genuinely think this is a thing he thought up of as a teenager. Yeah, um, right. He he was watching uh, Meatballs 2 on VHS and he rewound it. <laughs> the title, of course, is inspired by the Sator Square, as are all the things in the movie. Do you guys know about this? Um, no. Have you? Where, okay, where's so, that? Uh, it's a famous, ah, fuck, I can't get it all in there, but it's a famous Roman here. I'll put it in the chat, um, like word puzzle that pops up in a lot of Christ, early pre-Christian art. Um, that's just, it's just words that go backwards and forwards. It's really, it's like, here, how do I, how do I do this? Stupid chat. There we go. Um, and so okay. it's the word Sator, Arepo, Tenet, Opera, Rotas, and like everything's forwards and backwards if you look at it. Like it's it's a it's a I don't know. I don't know if it's it was for children. I don't know if it had I think there's weird sort of religious things going on with it, but do you guys see it? Yes. Yeah. Right. So that's where he gets the name Sator. The company is called Rotas. There's an opera scene, right? Arepo is the 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 guy who did the fake painting mm-hmm. and then tenet is running through the middle right it's a palindromic title backwards and forwards mm-hmm. tenet um this movie griffin well he makes dunkirk obviously it's a really big deal yeah uh gets i, I can't remember how long we had to wait but like, right, i don't know six months later or whatever right this gets announced like nola's next project yeah. John David Washington, Elizabeth Debicki, Pattinson, right? Like that was right. Well, because it was that same Oscar season was Black Klansman and Dunkirk, right? I feel like before the ceremony, the announcement came out, like the rumor at least came out of like uh, Nolan wants John David Washington as his new lead. Um, He's going to be a new protagonist. And uh, I really, apart from that, I feel like we knew nothing. Like, yeah, it was just one of those things where even by Nolan standards, you know, you would pe- you whatever someone would interview Pattinson. He'd be like, oh, I, I really don't know what it's about. <laughs> it's very confusing. <laughs> there was like there was no we kind of knew it was like a secret agent thing. Right. You know, and it would take place yeah. around the world and use IMAX cameras and all right. that. I think they just kept on being like global, massive scale. 
and it was known that there was some backward shit going on. I'm trying to remember what movie it was that Ben and I saw together where the trailer came up. The teaser came up, which was mostly just like shit going backwards and forwards. It was right. It was them in the um, that, you know, in the hallway you know, right. with the bullet bullet holes smoking. Yeah. yeah, it was very brief. Right. But there was but it, right the proper t- trailer, too. Right. And it was one of those things where they like put the teaser out, didn't put it online. You could only see if you went to theaters. But but, but the marketing campaign felt somewhat similar to Inception. There was very little known about Inception before it came yes. out outside of just Inception. that the cast was so big. Right. We just knew something about dreaming, something about your mind. Right. Yes. No, right. it's true. And, it's true. And just a blah. Like, that's pretty much what blahs. we knew. Yeah. A lot of blahs. Um, right. Um, so, Tenet. Yeah, and this is the other thing. It's like, unlike some of these blockbusters, they were, they were in their marketing when everything got fucked up. Yeah. And so they were, they were, every postponement apparently cost them like a million dollars just in marketing fees alone. Anyway. Um, so the film comes out. I swear to God, I feel like people were like, is he actually James Bond? Is that what the movie's about? You know what I mean? Like there was all that kind mm. of wild rumor mongering of like, did he really secretly make a James Bond movie or something? Uh, well, I, I remember there being, and maybe the, I, I say remember, maybe I was just sort of like uh, personally attached to this theory, but that it was in some way connected to Inception. That it was in the right, Inception yes, that too, universe. Right, it would be in... Right, right. I remember that too. Right, because even uh, the trailer had that weird thing where it said, like, it's time. It's time for a new protagonist. Right. And I was like, are you, is he saying a new protagonist in the Inception universe? And it's like, no, he's saying that this guy's name is protagonist and the movie doesn't even give him a proper name. No, but I think that's the... I think that's one of the many... Cru- I mean, like, I don't know if he wrote this I'm not saying character. that's a negative... No, no, I know. I mean, it, it's look. Someone, I believe it was Jordan Rupp. I want to give him credit uh, for the film stage. You said that like it feel this movie sometimes feels like a five hour movie where Nolan cut all the fat out because yeah. it's not like this movie is short, but no. it does just kind of move and like go from scene to scene and go from location to like right. Like it's it is kind of breathless. Yeah, and it does feel like so much of like the sort of detail has been stripped out. He's literally just called the protagonist, right? Like, you know, right. Um, and which, so, which uh, you yeah. know, once again, feels like an exercise in testing the opposite of what he already did with inception. Uh, yes, right. Exactly. Cause we've talked um, about like inception has to spend that much time talking about shit mm-hmm. in the first hour so that the last hour and a half can just be sort of like operatic. But but no. they've loaded everything into your brain. And this movie is just asking you for, like, full submersion from the get-go without a lot of grounding. And it begins, you know, with kind of like a big hammer blow action scene. Like, everyone sits down at a fancy opera house in Tallinn uh, or in a, the Ukraine or something. Like, I think it's in Tallinn, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, it's very cool opera house. Oh, no, it's the... Key- no, they're right. They wanted to use the Kiev opera house, but they they... They used the the one in Talon because it's brutalist. Like it's got that crazy industrial look on the outside and it's so pretty on the inside. It's such a cool location. 
Uh, yeah, it is uh, now, unfortunately, a weird, upsetting way for the movie to begin to see like a bunch of people sit down ready to watch a performance and then a bunch of mask guys come in <laughs> and they all fall asleep and these guys come in with guns and like hijack the entire situation. It, there's something just eerie about it. And I, I even so. rem- like when the trailers were coming out over the summer, when the movie kept on getting pushed back and it's like, really, that's a set piece in this movie is a bunch of people sitting in an audience wearing suits nodding off while people run around the theater in like SWAT gear and they're trying to convince us to go to theaters to see this yeah I went and I loved it I did it twice yeah but Um, once again we did it uh, away from strangers yeah um but uh I don't know, you know, whatever. Come on, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's cool. just a very, yeah, I'm, arresting. I'm just saying, it's arresting. I, I still found it unnerving. I'm not saying this in a negative way, but I, it definitely like, I, I, at this point in the film, I'm still on edge enough about being out of my apartment, sure. let alone in a public space like this, right. um, sure. and knowing that I'm going to be there for the next two and a half hours. The opening scene I found upsetting, but in, a, in an effective way. I mean, the fucking train yard. Right, yeah. and then the train yard is, is great. That uh, where to he's me, getting tortured. Oh my god, that's the maybe one of the scummier things I've seen in a long time. Uh, that guy, what's his name? Andrew Howard. He has like a really boring name. Mm. Yeah, Andrew Howard, the guy who's like, eh, maybe uh, you you do looking last another hour. I don't know. I'm gonna pull yeah. a tooth out. He's just Dr- a guy. Driver. Driver Oof. is his character's name. Um. So the protagonist is part of this big operation to try and avert a terrorist attack. It's really mm-hmm. a cover for they're trying to steal something from somebody. The protagonist gets it, but then he's caught and he kills himself. He takes his cyanide pill, mm-hmm. his metal cyanide pill, mm-hmm. and he thinks he dies. But no, he wakes up and who is there to say, hey, you passed the test. You're a loyal guy. Hap. Hap himself. Martin Donovan. Apparently his character's name is Faye. I guess wow. uh guess we didn't hear that uh said out loud but I, I really like nice to see Hap. Nice that he brought him back. Uh, 18 years yeah, later. I, f- I feel like there's been a nice little uh, Martin Donovan reclamation project going on like Inherent Vice and Inherent this. Vice, Ant-Man, yeah. remember he popped up in Ant-Man? Right. Right, big little lies. Like he he just is one of those guys we've kind of taken for granted. It's always good. He is always good. He's a very solid Creep or boss or, you know, whatever, functionary, older guy. He's he's a guy who knows how to use his innate squareness to great Mm -hmm. effect. Apparently, he once played Jesus. I can see. That's sort of crazy in like a TV movie. No, in a Hal Hartley movie, The Book of Life. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, Hal Hartley regular. Yes. Um, Yes. So, and he's basically like, look, okay, so you pass the test. Everything's chill. Sorry about your teeth getting pulled out. Anyway, your next mission. There's a word. There's a word. Tenant's going to open some good doors, maybe some bad ones too. You just love that line. You say it I all do. the time. I like it. Whatever the line it's, is. Yeah. It's, it's basically yeah. You have to yeah. do this. You have to put your hands together, uh, synergy style, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And say tenant. Tenant. And and it'll open some doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it. 
right? That's all he tells him. Because the whole right. thing is like, everyone has like one one fifteenth of information for you. And you got to talk yeah. to everybody and put it all together. Much right. like the doomsday device. It's like, you got to just, uh, yeah. And no, nobody knows everything, but if all together, it's crazy. But but it feels, in so many ways, this movie feels similar to uh, Inherent Vice for me. A film that I found uh, endlessly frustrating the first time I saw it. And now I, I love but yes, that movie similarly is sort of saying, like, d- just don't don't even get hung up on anything. Right. Right. Like, right. just don't flow with it. this. Right. At, by the end of the movie, you'll understand what you were supposed to understand. But if you're getting too hung up on details in the moment, you're you're absolutely going to end up driving yourself mad. Um, right. That is the advice given by Clemence Posey. Mm hmm. Uh, Fleur Delacour herself. Uh, 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 let me let me say, uh, Clemence Pussy in, in in the pasta dinner hall of fame. I just want to say, oh, you're a fan. I'm a fan. Um, I like her too. I I I, to- I, I would I would uh, gladly pick up the bill on a plate of rigatoni. Ben, are you hearing a noise? Yeah, it's super weird. I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Um, another one where you're like, oh. Like, it's not like she's an actress. I, you know, I know her, mm-hmm. but I uh, hadn't thought about her in a while. I'm not sure. No, I think she's you know, underused. Why these guys cross. Right. Right. You know, and she's, I hear you, she's yeah. you know, she's frosty exposition lady. She's, uh, you know, um, this is a bullet. It's inverted. It goes backwards. She's here to explain basic and backwards things. But see, what, this is where I'll disagree with you a little bit. I don't even think she's mostly frosty. I think there's something yeah, very delicate and quiet about Clemence Posey that goes against the types of performances you usually have uh, serving this function in she a movie. She seems... Yeah, what's the word for it? Because right, cause she's like... You know, her job, she's a scientist. She's examining this stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like, you right. know... Uh, she she doesn't care about the larger implications. She knows there are doomsday implications. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there is this sort of mournful moment where, you know, she's showing him how the bullets work and you're, you know, you're catching the bullet. Okay, that's cool. And then he's like, but who cares? Like, this doesn't seem disastrous. This just seems weird. And she just leads him into this big room and she takes out uh, this other equipment and she's like, this is like the detritus of a war that's going to happen. Like... It's right. shit just sort of like washing up on shore, but it's essentially just like evidence that something terrible will happen in the future. Right. There's something very rueful about her here. Right. Yeah. Rueful. 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 But yes, that's sort of the movie's big conceit is this uh, sort of backwards, forwards, uh, timey-wimey stuff is not uh, sort of unmoored. It is very much a cause and effect thing where they can only do shit backwards if it's already been done forwards in the future. As I put it to Ben at the end of the movie, it's Christopher Nolan being obsessed with the moment in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure where they say, let's remember to give ourselves the keys in this bush later. And then suddenly the keys are there. Right? <laughs> yes. Yes. That's exactly it. You said this and I loved it. He, that is his conception of time travel. Not back to the future, not primer. No. <laughs> Bill no. and Ted. Right. And um, there's the moment where he puts the glove on the bullet and you know, she says the bullet's been imbued with this ability to move backwards in time. We don't know exactly how. It's probably the byproduct of some radiation thing. But try, you know, 
picking up the bullet from the table. And he does uh, it. It doesn't work. And then she goes like, no, it only works if you have already dropped it. Hell yeah. It's, a, it's a, a frame of mind thing. Right. We think about time in so, just a linear way, man. We're yeah. such squares. We only move forwards. But that's just one way to look at it. Yeah. I mean, Christopher Nolan at any given time is thinking about two, even three temporalities. Oh, my God. There's so many temporalities that we have. He's to such about. a dork. I love what a fucking dork he is. I love that what a fucking dork he is that he gets all this money to make these very, you know, uh, crowd focused action movies. But also he has to say, like, all right, Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, temporal pincer movement. Like, that's the right. line. Like, let's let, <laughs> say it back to me. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so, yes. But no, I also just love and this is one of the things thematically that I love about the movie. Right. Is that the villains are us. Mm-hmm. Much like in Interstellar, where the aliens are just us, right? Except mm-hmm. in that, they're they're good guys. They're mm-hmm. you know us in a better world. But in Tenet, it's us, and it's just hey, all this is just going to get worse and worse and worse, yeah. and it's going to get so bad. Even though we get more advanced and we fucking discover how to go backwards, it's going to get so bad that at the end, as things are really getting bad, we're going to be like, well, what if we just uh blew up the past like is that the only way out of this now there's no way in the future yeah like what if we just go backwards and i was i'm just thinking about the more i think about it the more i watch this movie i'm like that is a very distressing and pessimistic but also like kind of cold-eyed and clever way of thinking about our place in the world and it's it's a a very griffin newman worldview when you and i talk about things off microphone Mm, it sure is that's true i'm not not calling myself a satyr i may be more of a clemence posey but but here's the things i've been thinking about with this yeah okay so do you eat backwards do you watch movies backwards? Do you know what I'm saying? You have you, to does the poop movies. go yes. into your butt? Like, yes, like the that's what, these are the questions I have because I understand the advantage of like using the information you can get in the backwards world and yeah. then use that in the forwards world. But there's stuff like that, experiential stuff where I'm like, well, that's not enhanced or better this way. It's worse. I, I can't believe I'm only now making this connection, but there is, of course, the famous uh, uh, backwards episode of uh, Red Dwarf, mm-hmm, uh, right. which, David, I don't know if you know this, but Red Dwarf uh, Red Dwarf is a comedy show from uh, the United Kingdom. It's like a sci-fi comedy show that aired on TV uh, mm-hmm. in the UK. Uh, sure, I've heard of it. Yeah. What? Did you? Wait, so, so you watch it on like, BBC America weird. or Sorry. like the Brit, the BritBox streaming service or something? I have subscribed to BritBox in the past. I can't remember why. Oh, I remember why. I wanted to watch Our Friends in the North. Have you ever heard of that one, Griffin? No. Uh, oh, you you might like it. Christopher Eccleston, Daniel Craig, Mark mm. Strong, Gina McKee, mm. 90s melodrama. Um, I was going to say, the, the, Red, the Red Dwarf episode, uh, which maybe was a big influence on uh, Nolan for this movie, they land on a planet where everything is backwards. And most of the episode happens backwards. And uh, two of the characters start a comedy vaudeville routine as the amazing forwards brothers. Right. And their whole gimmick is that they just do stuff forwards. Uh, but the the great final bit of the episode is that Cat goes out to a field to go to the bathroom. And then he makes this really shocked face. And you realize it's because the poop went right back up his butt. <laughs> it's a perfect, a perfect final joke. And of course, poop is a palindrome. It goes poop backwards a and forwards. It went right up his butt. 
He he went, he dropped his pants, he he crouched atop some grass, and and poop went up his butt. Uh, uh, anyway, I think that was uh, Christian Nolan's main uh, influence on this movie was the poop going back up the butt. It might be. Maybe if we pinned him down, he'd be like, look, it was Bill and Ted in that one Red Dwarf episode. You got me. Because Christian Nolan put some he, James Bond on top of it. Yeah, he grew up in uh, England. Um, he did, but uh, yes, I, I think that's one of the things I find very potent in this movie is the idea that this sort of like the the palindromic riddle of it of like we we're making it very clear it's not that certain people just have the magic ability to do things backwards. It's that people have the ability to play and reverse things that have already happened, right? That are right. going to happen or that have happened in the future. They've rather. happened and they move can move backwards through the things that have happened. Right. So and they like yes. right, they grab this guy protagonist and they're like, "Look, it's really important. You have to stop the end of the world." And they're, he's like, cool, what's the threat? And they're like, we don't know, but we know it's Something. severe because you have to stop it. And he's like, what right. do you mean? And they're like, well, it, it only... The fact that we know something is going to happen means that something bad has happened because you now have to... I'm already confusing myself trying to explain it, but I just but no, like... But this is the thing. That it's such yes. an abstract threat, right? That they're it just is. like, something is going to go wrong in the future, and we know that. The proof is the fact that we're telling you right now to stop it. And yes, and Sator does eventually sort of talk about the villain of the movie played by Kenneth uh, Hambrana. Um, and we'll talk about him plenty. He's, he's he on does, a yacht in the middle of an ocean of ham. He's he, sure. Yes, he's on the USS Ham. That's right. Yeah. The Ham Cruiser. Yeah. Um, let them all talk, but it's just the Queen Mary going inside a pig. I don't oh, know. what a good pitch. Um, but uh, he eventually says something along the lines of like their oceans rose. You know, he alludes to like climate catastrophe and so on. But yes, we don't really know what it is, except the world has ended or is ending is in some dire state. And Sator, the villain of this movie is someone who is nihilistic about it. Like Ben is saying, like it's it's over. And I and and I'm dying as well. He's dying of cancer because he fucking grew up inside a radiation. And so he's like when I go down as you say Ben, I'm taking everything with me. And then the protagonist and all these people who barely know what it is and barely know even like who they're fighting against and what time they're from, mm -hmm. but they are like, well, doing something is better than giving up. So, you know, it is that very basic hero thing of like, they won't be nihilistic about it. Like, just because right. it happened doesn't mean it has to happen. Well, and their question is like, are, are we trying to stop something that's about to happen? Or is it something that has happened and we're fucked? Let's hope yeah. that it's something that hasn't quite happened yet on the time stream. And we can stop it right before it's going to happen. And the hope is better than the giving up even whether whether or not the hope is well founded, right? Like that's just the, sort of the, the, the Sims approach. The moral, sure. yes, sure. Um, so he gets recruited to Tenet. Um, mm -hmm. he goes to he he sees these bullets from from Clemence Posey. Um, he goes to India and where he meets Neil, played by Robert Pattinson, mm -hmm. in just full just dreamboat. I mean, it's come on, just oh, yeah, outrageous charm. He has yeah. just become such an incredibly compelling screen presence, and I yes. really don't think he always was. It's not like he was a disaster, like you know, back in the day, but I, it, I really think he has grown yeah. 
just in terms of his natural on-screen talent. Yes. I I have always been a big defender of his performance yeah, in the first Twilight good. movie, which I think is really good. And then I think in the following Twilight films, he is completely uh, overwhelmed by uh, the weight of what the whole thing has come to represent and and the sort of fandom of his character. And I think a lot of the rough edges get sanded off. The weird thing he was trying to do in the first movie, which is really look at like, on yeah. paper, this guy is fucking bizarre. Right. He's more right. You're it's a good point. He's more into the creepiness in the first movie. Yeah. Because it is weird. He's like, you yeah. smell so insane to me. You know, like it's such a right. weird fucking right. And this guy's like 180 years old and he's still in high school. Like Meeting I think he's school. Right. I, I think he's sort of doing like a Peggy Sue got married Nick Cage performance in the first one. And then in the sequels, they're like, you have to be hot. Yes. Yes. And also the sequels, it's just they ladle in more and more stuff. There's more and more yeah. characters. There's all this, you know, vampire werewolf shit. But, but, anyway, right, but yes. certainly that run of movies uh, running kind of concurrent with Twilight, like Water for Elephants and Remember Me, he is not that innately engaging. I mean, it's really like no. around the time of, of like the rover and I, uh, the, and yeah. you know what? Yeah, let's talk Pattinson. I guess is this yeah. the first Pattinson we've discussed? I think it has to be, right? Right? I right? Can't. Yeah, no, it is. And yes, yeah, this uh, this is the thing. And I will say, I also should shout out. He is actually really, really good in the Harry Potter movie in the Goblet oh, sure. of Fire. Even though sure. that's not a movie I like at all, but I do remember him. You know, just whatever. It was like, oh, this is a charming guy. But but there's an um, argument you can make that he was like a, a good character actor, right? Who then got saddled with this, like you're a movie star, you're a leading man, he's you're a dream. Very boat. handsome, right? And then I think he got overwhelmed by all of that, and then it's obviously like Cronenberg uh, starts to pull him. That that this is that was what I was going to say. Right. right, that's the fulcrum point. Now, and I will I will admit. I'm going to admit this. I'm ashamed to admit it. I've actually mm. never seen Water for Elephants. I'm sorry to say it. So I can't oh. actually say that he's bland in that movie. I just feel you like ne- that was you everyone's never drank the water. <laughs> no, it was for the elephants, Griffin. Uh, no, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. And I'm I, in uh, that case, you know, I guess I'm I'm happy they were marked correctly. Um, uh, you know, but right, he's in that movie Little Ashes where he plays Dolly. He's in right. Remember Me, which I rem- I have seen, and I remember him being pretty kind of you know whatever one note grumpy uh-huh. kid and teen and but it just has yeah. that insane twist right so and you're then, just like holy uh, shit bellamy yeah i like, never saw I feel bellamy like, i feel like bellamy was like a screenplay that had been you know on like on the great on made list for a really long time little ashes had been on a shelf for a little mm-hmm. while uh right but then it's like cosmopolis the rover Maps to the stars, people are like, huh, he's like pretty engaging in these. Then there are a couple that don't connect in a row, right? There's like Queen of the Desert, the weird he plays Lawrence of Arabia, Herzog movie that doesn't exist. Yes. Does not uh, exist. I've never seen. It was yeah, expensive right. too and you've right. seen. Right. Uh, there, there there's was, right. Life, the Anton right. Corbin movie. Right. With Dane DeHaan as James Dean, right? Yeah, that and the thing, right? It, in in that whole period, it was kind of like, oh, is Pat? You know, Pattinson's trying, but like, this isn't going to work. He's he just, just going for weird, right, right, right. And he doesn't have it. And then, and the Cronenberg stuff feels like outliers. Maybe this is the one filmmaker who kind of knows how to work with him. And then he just starts scoring, right? Like Lost City of Z 
he, he, right you're just like wait can this guy just do anything on screen now like here he's got the less showy part he's sort of doing support he's pretty silent he doesn't have any ticks right he's no, not he doing a beard a, he has no beard but 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 it's like uh the, the guy is just so innately watchable that my biggest complaint with that movie has always been i, I resent that movie not having pattinson in the lead role Weird to complain about that movie. Uh, seeing here that's against bylaws. I just don't like just, Charlie Hunnam. Uh, I, you know, I had never liked him. And then I saw Lost City of Z and now I love Charlie Hunnam forever. And he's my baby I, boy. I, I don't like Charlie Hunnam. And I think Pattinson just smokes him in that movie. But I mean, I but pa- but Pattinson also has in that movie the advantage of being the second lead. So he gets to be quiet. He sure. gets to be. I mean, he is wonderful in that movie. I, ha- I have not seen Cosmopolis since it came out. When mm-hmm. I saw it, I thought it was pretty good mm-hmm. you know had stuff going on for it cronenberg delillo you know i thought it was it was not my favorite cronenberg at all but mm-hmm. i remember thinking that he was like yeah he's i was like yeah he's fine he looks good in a suit i get it but i you know not innately like oh i'm turned around on this guy and i should mm-hmm. rewatch it because i wonder i i should I'd rewatch it too it maps to the stars is the one i remember being very like kind of sold on that i think he's weird. very good then yeah i mean i love that he movie. is good um, but the, but then um, I mean but, like right, no. when his, he popped up in Z, I was just like holy shit, right. and then right, but and the same then, year, right? Then he does good time. He is in good time. Yeah. My fucking movie, like right. I I watch that shit all the fucking time. Which by all accounts, he saw a still image. Right? Isn't yeah. this the story that he saw a still image from Only God Forgives and was like, who are these guys? I'll do any movie they want to do. And like reach out to them. I, I, was like, heaven knows I, what. But yes, uh, heaven yes, knows yes. what. I'm sorry. Why did I say Only God Forgives? But That's he reached out to them. Like right. And, and was like, uh, uh, I like the, the look of your movie that I haven't watched yet. Write anything for me and I'll be the lead. And that movie yes. is just an experiment on like, to some degree, just twisting his screen persona as far as they can. His innate watchability. That's the thing. I mean, you know, and like, so I'd saw, I'd seen him in Lost City of Z that year and he has a big beard and glasses. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I get that he wants to, you know, he doesn't want to look like a marquee idol. He's, you know, yeah. that's, that's classic. I was once a marquee idol behavior. He, you know, that, I, I, I kind of hide. Yeah. I, good time, which is, it had been a can and where I hadn't seen it, but you know, whatever I'm seeing it at a press screening. I'm almost going in annoyed at the sort of like, okay, Robert, you know, you're making your grimy movie. Oh, your he's hair getting looks dirty. Cre- yeah, yeah, like, you know, yeah, come on, show me what you got. And then I just walked out. I was like, oh, this, this guy's rules. That guy's incredible. Man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, after that, like the year after you had Damsel, which have you seen that movie? Yeah, I like Damsel a lot. I'm, I'm a big Zellner Damsel's fan. not bad. Yeah. Uh, I like I like I like their other movie better. I mean, but like the sort of joke of Damsel is kind of what he's doing. Yes. Which I love. Yeah. Um, I don't want to give away the twist of Damsel. Right, High Life, he's fantastic. And yeah, it just became yeah. this thing where suddenly he's working with proper A-list art, art director, RD right. directors, you know, Claire right. Denis, Lighthouse. Robert Eggers. Yeah. yeah. Another one of my favorite movies, which is The Lighthouse. I'm a, yeah, like, right. I'm a Pattinson guy, man. Oh, he's yeah. so fucking funny in that movie. That is such a weird ass comedy. You guys were the ones who were like, Ben, you need to see this. And I was just like floored the whole time. That's the other thing. He's become so funny now. And and it's even just like, I feel like people started looking back at all the interviews he did from Peak Twilight. And they're like, oh, he just like makes up shit in every interview. 
Yes. He would genuinely, he would actually make up whole anecdotes, right? Like it yeah. seemed like he was just like bored. He was so uncomfortable to, being right. under the spotlight that he would just make up bizarre anecdotes and repeat them until people <laughs> copied them as fact. You know, I interviewed him for High Life. Um, uh-huh. You know this, right? And uh, I interviewed him with Claire Denis, who is mm-hmm. uh, a director, a filmmaker who matters to me a lot and I love, but mm-hmm. is also a terrifying, intelligent French woman who mm-hmm. I did not want to be in the same room with because I just assumed she would look at me and I'd fucking turn to stone. Which is pretty much what uh, happened. Well, exactly. And like, literally, I heard, I've heard folded horror you like laundry. Of, she, she, look, she's like 80 pounds. She's 75 years old. And she yeah. like, yeah, she could just reduce me to rubble. But yeah, so, uh, but, but A24 was like, well, what if you talk to her and Pattinson together? Like, that'd be fun. They were kind of like, what if Pattinson interviews her? And I'm like, okay. And like, we walk in there and Pattinson's and like, I so just what's going watch. on? <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. I very much, you know, whatever Pattinson was, but he was such because she was so scary. He was such a dream because he's just pulling on his vape, Ben, which that's, you know, he's just pulling, you know, brushing the hair out of his head. And he's just like a kind of like chiller, you know, he just has this vibe of like, whoa, yeah, whatever. And just Just wants to casually logging on to his his Bulbasaur (laughs) account and. Flipping off some hot film takes. He just, he just winks at me and says, I'm Bront. Um, <laughs> my favorite joke. Um, yeah, no, exactly. Like, and like telling me like about how weird the lighthouse is going to be. And have I said it on? Right. Claire Denis, I'm eating a sweet. Gre- no. Yeah. Right. I was hoping I you were going to tell this story. Right. It's a funny story. Right. I, I don't think you've told this on mic. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think I've told, I don't think I don't think I've told yeah. it on mic. Yeah. Uh, I come into A24 she uh, is sitting there and she's doing interviews all day, obviously. And they bring her a salad from Sweet Green, the, the chain salad restaurant. Uh-huh. And, you know, they're like, ah, oh, here you go. You know, and she's and she starts eating it and she's like, I'm sorry, I have to eat. Like, you know, I have to eat lunch. And I go like, oh, no, that's all right. Like, I love Sweet Green. I always get Sweet Green. And she just looks at me like I'm a fucking slug. Like, just like looks at me like why would I care that you like this boring ass salad chain that I am merely eating to sustain myself? I I feel like the the way you told to me the first time was that she looked at you with like resentment that she now had that information in her head. Like, why would I ever need to know what fucking salad you eat? You piece of as I was saying, it, I was just like, why would she Oh, like, why am I trying to form a personal connection with legendary French director Claire Denis over salad? Like, this is not going to work. She's not going to be like, leather jacket I love over striped shirt. sweet green. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't you just love the harvest bowl? Like, that's not going to be the next thing out of her mouth. The next line out of her mouth was, aren't you supposed to ask me questions? Which is a great uh, withering thing to say. Yes. Uh, and I like, you know, fell over and farted or whatever I did. Oh, right, I was like, right. ah! <laughs> but but it gets to the interesting patent thing of just like for a guy to become this much of sort of like uh, an indie uh, uh, sort of dream boat. Right. Um, yes. I feel like he does not traffic in like pretension. Like he's got right. a little bit of that Nick Cage thing where it's like I'm working with auteurs. But it all feels kind of like play, you know, like I'm just I'm trying to have fun. I'm trying to see what I can do here. But that's why it is interesting that this year he was in Tenet or last year now uh, Mm -hmm. from when this was. And then, of course, he's got the Batman. It does feel like he's he's finally like, all right, I'm now big enough 
that I can work, you know, in a blockbuster, be weird if I yeah. want to be like, you know, do my thing. And have some creative input, probably. I was going to say, I I think it's that he just feels like he has the sea legs now. He knows how to hold his own against the machinery of these things, you know? So it's A, he's proven that that weirdo Pattinson can hit. He knows that if someone's hiring him, they know what they're signing up for. And B, I think he knows how to, like, work within the the larger uh, system now, you know, which before maybe was threatening to swallow him alive. Um, It also, I mean, he said in interviews like Batman's the only one of these types of roles I've ever wanted to play. It makes sense, you know, sort of aligned with like Michael Keaton working well in Batman, that the Mm -hmm. psychology of of that character is kind of uh, interesting to him. I think that movie looks cool. I like that yeah. he's Batman. I he's hope that Batman. it means that he will uh, get to to do both. You know, it doesn't feel like it was just like, well, great. I did my handful of A24 movies. Now I have my big franchise and I don't have to do that shit ever again. The hope is no. that he'll, he'll jump back and forth between the two and that, uh, you know, he'll be able to help actually get things made, which he has for the last five years or so. He's been able to help a lot of really good, challenging filmmakers get their movies made because twilight gave him so much box office juice over overseas and now batman's just gonna re-up that shit i mean people talked about like for how much fucking twilight was clowned on uh chris and stewart and rob pattinson have kind of kept the art house cinema alive this is this is the thing and we have to stand like it, it truly like i mean and i that's what i think he's doing i agree with you i think it's more that he's putting some money in the bank that he can yeah. then withdraw again it's like right okay has twilight finally kind of run out like okay you're not gonna just right. give anyone any okay then yeah i'll go be batman and i'm sure he wants to do it and i'm sure it's interesting and exciting but like it's, also, it's the one yeah. he can do well like it's like i, I you right. know no, I, right. I he's not doing anything he, right he wouldn't have played hawkman you know but it's like mm-hmm. well actually good but, hawk, man. Mm. have you seen the king no i haven't but i was gonna say that's the other category now where it's like if he does a performance in a movie that doesn't really hit his performance at least gets some credit for being the interesting thing like the king and devil all the time where you're like Those he's doing two, shit right. He's yeah. doing an accent in both. And it, and yeah. the king especially comes in bef- with 20 minutes to go. And it, the movie is, I think, a bit of a snooze. But yeah, he's I, I, just I, having so much fun. I've only watched Pattinson clips. Yeah. They're good. Yeah. Um, but anyway, in Tenet, yes. he's really good. He's really charming. Well, uh, right. Effortless. I mean, not yes. doing too many bits. Like, not doing weird accents and shit. But, like, just effortless, effortlessly charming. But I think this is kind of the the Nolan calculation, which is like, we got this protagonist guy who's kind of unknowable and is a little bit of a cipher. Let's get a guy who's sort of more established at this point to be all the flavor, you know, to have the sort right. of swagger. Yes. Um, yeah, because John we, David Washington, we, we haven't talked about him yet. Yeah, I let's mean, talk about J.D. Dubs. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Um, but he is, you know, he... He's fascinatingly like closed off. Like, yeah, it, it's 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 very interesting because you look, you can't talk about him without talking about Denzel. And because, yeah. you know, Denzel, like his whole thing is like he'll be in any movie and it'll just be some basic ass dialogue scene where they're like, so here's where the, uh, you know, the the body was. And he's like, ha! Oh! That is and you're where like the what's body that is. choice? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> 
It's the best. I love it. But like John David Washington, so buttoned down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's something very uh, uh, sensitive about him. He's he's sensey Denzel, sensey boy Denzel. Uh, mm-hmm. He's also there's something to like. I mean, just sitting there on a big screen watching this guy for two and a half hours, I was really trying to crack into like what his innate movie star persona is. He's such a good listener. And he also has those like very kind of striking, sleepy eyes, right? Like his eyes always seem kind of half closed. Yes. There's something about him that seems weirdly chill with whatever's going on in the movie around him, even if the circumstances are wild. Uh, without right. him seeming blasé or above it all. Yes. Like there's yes. something kind of vulnerable about him and, and kind of modern about him. And he doesn't really have the sort of machismo that Denzel is usually trafficking in, in one way or another. Yes. Um, I do think like, I, I want to say, I, I want to be very careful with how I say this. He gives a better performance in this than I will ever give in my entire life, Right. I do sure. not want to make it sound like I'm criticizing him. You can I, criticize Jesus. You're allowed to criticize him. I think he rules in this movie. But I, think he's go, I think he's good in this movie. I do get the sense that he might just be like half a step too green to fully pull off what the movie is asking of him. But I also think to some degree the movie is putting a lot of is distributing a lot of that weight to people like Pattinson and Branagh and even DeBecky to a certain degree. But I, I do think like there are times where how do I put this? I had it, it. This thought was sort of more cogent right out of the movie, but especially like this kind of thing, which I feel like is so much of what defines like uh, a movie star, right? It's like how convincingly can you sell bullshit and make it sound like it's not a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is is like that's the kind of shit they pay you twenty million dollars for because it's just like how can anyone do that? How can anyone make this dialogue sound like it's rolling off the tongue? And there sure. are moments in this where I feel like the dialogue a little bit has the better of him, where he just like doesn't he he isn't totally in command of the star that he is clearly very inevitably and imminently going to be. There are moments where I feel him wrestling with it a little bit to try to make it seem natural. And there are moments where I think he makes it seem natural. I've seen it three times. It's definitely, I mean, there's also the thing of just that the dialogue is itself often quite ludicrous. So yes, as you say, right. It's, it's a difficult task. I want to make it clear. I think he's very, very good in this movie, but it is the reason why Nolan goes to someone like McConaughey doing the victory lap or DiCaprio, like undisputed for a decade to be like, I know you're going to be able to make this shit work. And this this is is him testing out a new leading man to some degree. Well, but this is also a question that I have that I don't Mm -hmm. know the answer to. And, you know, maybe I'll ask Christopher Nolan when I interview him one day, but like, um, he's, you know, a black American actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nolan's never had a black uh, lead of a movie before. No. But beyond that, I don't know if the character was written to be black, but he's presented and he's like as this outsider, as this sort of like weird new, you know, thing in a, in a tired formula. There's all this mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, there's the line where it's like we need, you know, where um, uh, what's her uh, Priya the the arms dealer? We, ne- like, we, we need, need a new, new protagonist. protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But like, and then he goes to uh, see Michael Caine, and Michael Caine is like, 
you're going to need new suit. You're getting, you know, like he's kind of yeah. trying to give him the, it's a great scene. I, I really like that scene, but he's, he has that sort of like unusual swagger to him where he's like, that's okay. Like you don't have a monopoly on snobbiness. Like I could figure this out as well, where I feel like he wants the guy to kind of stick out a little bit in, in this James Bond universe of Pattinson and his gorgeous scarves and Elizabeth Debicki so classy and Branna the Shakespearean legend you know like you know what I mean like he wants mm-hmm. this guy who kind of vibes a little differently I, I wonder if he really that my only question would just be like right did he go into this being like I'd really like this to be a black actor or maybe not I have no idea but it sticks out in a great way I, I it seems like the big thing was trying to find a new guy uh, and it's not like he was brand new. I mean, he, he, no, but he's pretty ballers. new. I mean, and certainly right. he's getting and cast. Black Klansman's just that's his know, first right, leading happening. role. It was right after this, right? Uh, and he'd been in Ballers. I have not seen Ballers. Oh, I, I mean, Liz and I, uh, have been doing a lot of marathons together. <laughs> Liz W. Lockdown. Liz Dubs. Um, that, that's, I guess, the point I was just making. And it's like a performance I do still think is very good. But like what we just talked about with Pattinson, how he got sort of chewed up and then he figured out how to really hold his own, be that engaging without feeling like he's overacting. Uh, This is a character where there's not really anything on paper, right? You have to fill in all the blanks. Right, right, on who this guy is, and the movie's really asking you to just throw energy into it, to find what the interesting energy is on a scene-to-scene basis. It's just, it's a tall order, it's a big ask, and it's usually a movie of this size uh, that that ask is only extended to someone who has carried a movie of this size five, six, seven, eight plus times already, you know? Yes. Um, so I, I just felt like at certain points, like he's doing a very good job. It's it's a lot to put on him. Um, he's by and large winning. And it kind of proves that he's going to be a real deal to stick around for a long time. I was time. talking with Olivia Craig, a friend, past future guest. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were saying it's also to his benefit. Probably the only way he could be a superstar is that he doesn't look like Denzel Washington. No. Like not, ex- you know, obviously he looks like his dad a little bit. But like I look if you Google his mom, he really looks like his mom. Yes. Um, and like we were like, if he just looked like Denzel, it would probably be too weird. It would just be like a like this new younger. It would be like, whoa, yeah, how is this pot? You know, like it's it's he's his own thing. He sounds a lot like him though. Like especially this yes, movie, Black Klansman. Like he's doing the Ron Stallworth voice. No, but this, no, he definitely sounds like him. He sounds a lot like him. He doesn't have the same sort of uh, uh, Denzel uh, bravado, right. um, but he's got the same uh, vocal quality. Um, it, it It is interesting in that, like, Michael Douglas, Kirk Douglas way, though, where it's just, like, rare that someone is the, the child of someone this iconic and is able to sort of hold their own and both remind you of their parent and also function in their own way. It, it's also another thing about this movie, and it gets into this area of, I think, like, Nolan trying to challenge himself in a bunch of ways. You look at this film and realize that Nolan has pretty much reset his base of regular collaborators, right? So it's like, this is now the second Branagh, and mm-hmm. obviously you got Kane in one scene, and Kane is yes. like his standby. But he's not using, you know, Apart much of like, his... Like Martin Donovan or whatever. But yes, no, everyone else right, is but new. it's a guy he hasn't yes. used since 2002. No, exactly. He's not throwing right. in Killian Murphy. He's not throwing in all those guys. But also, like, this is now the the third Hoyt van Hoytema after... It, uh, it is, know, after uh, Wally uh, Fister. 
embarked on a huge career of uh, directing the tick pilot uh you know just decided i i don't need these rinky dink nolan movies i i want to direct a half hour griffin newman uh episode right yes no but but uh the other crew members are new he Hans zimmer out the window well Hans zimmer i believe was busy on dune and so he mm-hmm. brings in Ludwig Göransson. Mm-hmm. His score fucking slaps and a half. Yeah, I mean Ludwig is obviously a huge talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, right? Don't you love this score? I mean, I listen yeah. to the score all the time. And and Jennifer Lame, who's okay. the editor on this. Yeah. Yes. Well, I want to talk about this. Okay. So Jennifer. I'm just Lame. saying. I just think it's no, interesting no, no, that I, he's I like shaking up this. most of the bag. Okay. Yes. yes tell okay. Me. But Jennifer Lame has only look at her credits. Her credits yeah. are. You know, Noah Baumbach movies, uh, starting with Francis Ha, mm-hmm. uh, Manchester by the Sea, mm-hmm. the two Ari Aster movies. Those are her credits, like mm-hmm. as an editor. She worked right. on Before the Devil You Know You're Dead as like an apprentice. But like her first big credit is Francis Ha. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nolan approached her and was like, "You're, I want you to edit this movie. And she was like, I don't know anything about editing a blockbuster i've never edited an action movie i like yeah. you don't want to hire me and he's like you are the person i want to hire i you manchester by the sea is exactly what i'm going for emotionally like that like sort of like recollection the way you use wow. recollection in the past and like the sort of bluntness of like going back you because remember man manchester by the sea just sort of goes back to the the pre oh yeah yeah uh I just and, think and that's that movie it plays with time in interesting ways. Like I feel right. like a lot of that movie feels um, you're you're not sure what timeline you're in. It takes you a little while into each scene to right, orient right, yourself. Right. I think that yes. weird abruptness, right? Uh, isn't that interesting? I just love that. Like he's yeah. worked with the same editor for a year, Lee Smith. Like you know, who's like a robust yeah. action editor. Yeah, um, I, but I, yeah. but I think to some degree that's like a, a strike against complacency. You know, it's like you need to get yeah. new eyes into the ecosystem. You need to mix it up. Uh, you you know, you you can very quickly fall into I think very repetitive patterns if you're working with the exact same collaborators every time, and you're able to go like you know, and then do the thing you know I like. Um, I mean, right. then even going back to like you know, uh, uh interstellar and stuff you see him trying to like challenge Hans Zimmer and go like okay only use these types of instruments and avoid these sounds while together but the the greatest way to do that is to just mix up collaborators yes totally um but it does have the Hoyt look that very yes. clean like brutal visual I mean I love it to be clear but just yeah. you know um and obviously I'd love to have seen this film in IMAX that was not possible, but a lot of yeah, people shot too. with IMAX cameras. I'm sure, you know, when you watch the Blu-ray, you'll see, you know, when the, from the aspect changes, yeah. like when what's supposed to be an IMAX, and it's a lot of it. I, I'm um, hoping there's like some fucking one-week IMAX so. re-release three years from now or something. I would imagine stuff yeah. like that will be happen happening. Are you seeing this part of the score features Christopher Nolan's own breathing, which was then manipulated into raspy sounds? Is that true? That's weird. I don't know. It sounds fucking cool. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so, okay. The next uh, act of the movie he he is him meeting Sator and Kat, his wife, and all right. this stuff. Well, because you have the okay. early sort of high stuff with patents, and the plane thing happens pretty early on, right? No, no, no we're not getting to the plane thing. Well, yeah, well, okay. yeah, the plane thing is next, right? The plane thing is because uh, protagonist is like, let me help you, Kat. There's that great fight scene in the kitchen where he's sort of acting like they have the better of him and then he 
he hits the guy with the cheese grater and shit, you know. Oh, that fight scene's so good. Yeah. That fight scene is great. Yeah, and, and you have DeBecky in the car outside, like, yes, assuming right. the guy's being murdered. Well, because also the J.D. Dubs uh, was a, a fucking football player. Like, it's he, that he interesting. Was, yeah. yeah, it's an interesting thing where he does not move like an actor. Um, and that that scene, especially just the way you you totally buy that this guy who's smaller than these people can just yeah. like knock him against a wall. Um, but right. So he's like, I'll get the painting, this painting that you authenticated. That's a forgery that he's holding over you. I'll get it out of where, where, where is it? She's mm-hmm. like, it's in a free port. What's mm-hmm. a free port? A free port is a real thing. Ben was delighting in this. That is like a, you know, extra legal international water style holding place for rich people shit in airports where they can't be like taxed because they don't like technically exist in a country. Yeah, These are real world. Yeah. Well, this is the thing that I think is because you've got the free ports, you've got the, the closed city, the Soviet closed city where, where the final action uh, set piece takes like you've got these crazy yachts and these like futuristic fast boats that they're on when they're uh, just, mm-hmm. you know, going out for a sail. Like Nolan is like, this is my Bond movie. This is like about like the weird world of the rich, like that you don't even know exists, like where where intelligence and, and all these deals are being done. That's like so beyond anyone's like conception. It's so crazy. And and we think about like uh, you know time travel as like oh someday they're going to solve that and then it'll just be a public utility, but in right. reality it will remain something that only the the sad and glove assholes have access to to just the fucking rig the game more. And that's for right. That's what it's saying. It's like what's happening is yeah they already know about time travel. And they're using it. What they have right. turnstiles all over the country. Right. Shut they're, up. You don't know what time travel is. They're using time travel right now because the them in the future already has access to time travel and is yeah, setting them up uh, for it now. Right, and they know the world is ended. By the way, don't worry about it. Like this is. I love yeah. this. Uh, the Freeport scene is probably my favorite action scene. Uh, which is the combo of the plane crashing into the warehouse and Pattinson and Washington, like, you know, fighting their way into the middle of this Pentagon museum thing and then fighting mm-hmm. a backwards person. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're in these great suits. A backwards man. Yeah. <laughs> There's the the weird. Uh, I love the weird clerk at the Freeport who's like, oh, well, of course, you know. You have nothing to worry about. Like, yeah. uh, we, we value your bullshit over our lives, of course. You know, all that. But he plays it so well. Like, you have to really trust in this super weird business. Like, I don't know. He's like a real estate person showing, like, mansions or something, you know? Like, 100%. Right. That, God, that just right. That, that weird. Real. That weird vibe of like, as we all know, we live in an insane rich people universe where we just talk about these things like they're normal. So don't even need to acknowledge that, right? Yeah. Do you like this whole this whole set piece? Yeah, I do. Look, I mean, you've seen it three times. You're at a great I'm at a disadvantage here. I I still could I could barely parse what was going on as I was watching it. It will take me more viewings to figure it out. But I was vibing on every single thing that happened in this movie. Okay. Um, so so that's all cool. The back they fight a backwards person. Um which is they ask if daddy would like some sausage. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, and uh, they uh, meet Himesh Patel, Mr. Yesterday himself. Okay. I want to talk about this guy for a little bit. I think Himesh Patel rules. I think he's great. I think I, he's I th- so good. Right. I mean, uh, you know, Christopher Nolan tried to save the movies with Tenet. There's an argument that yesterday is the movie that killed movies, that in fact, movies died. Wow, you're putting it, you're putting it all on yesterday? It died long yesterday before was the pandemic. Hit. Yeah, I know. That was what did us in. We let that thing become a hit. Um, but but that movie, he's very much playing your classic Richard Curtis, like uh, Hugh Grant, floppy haired, uh, uh, sweet yes, guy. He right? has a little bit of beard. But less so that in, in Tenet, he's got a big Santa beard. But I'll say this. I liked him a lot in that movie, Very uh, especially because, uh, you know, that character is such a fucking maniac and the script is <laughs> yes. such hot garbage. I was like, it's impressive that this guy's charming enough to overcome this script and actually make me almost like this guy. But my takeaway from it was, oh, this is probably some sketch comedy dude who's just innately kind of charming on screen. And then he shows up in this movie and he's playing like fucking Adam Goldberg, right? He's like this gum chewing asshole over it. <laughs> fucking like American accent. He's doing yeah. an American accent. Yeah. He's, he's so got this... good in this. Well, he's wait, so what do you good. Mean American accent. Where is he from? He's from uh, England. He is from what? England. He's from Cambridge. Are you serious? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I believe he's, he's of Gujarati descent. He's and... one of these. He's one of these fancy Brit boys, Ben. And usually, I can tell I if someone grew up in England. You can hear <laughs> their voice. You can hear it in their voice. That's why I was so surprised. Yeah. His parent his parents ran a news agent there. Uh, he was in EastEnders for nine years. He was, yeah. which is a famous British soap opera. I don't know if you guys know about eastenders no how would we know that how would you know that no yeah that's uh, not a well, thing I, I know about i grew up in britain i thought you guys knew that what no you didn't you weren't aware of that i i, I had no idea to oh my 2008 god. oh my god uh, lived in britain i've seen a few episodes of eastenders let me tell you i just think i think Mesh patel 30 years old with this movie and the and the gulf between his performance in Yesterday and this, I'm just like, oh, this guy rules. I'm going to be watching him on screen for the rest of time. Uh, I agree. And now I'm thinking about him, though. I now like your argument. He's been in three movies that arguably killed theaters. All right. One, Yesterday, which you just seem to argue like that thing being a hit was just that. That was just it threw off the balance. It, that, yeah. that upset the algorithm. Absolutely. Tenet obviously yeah. has we we much just we just discussed it. The other thing he the was aeronauts. in was the aeronauts, yes. which he's fun, he's the, in that one he plays uh, Eddie Redmayne's like goofy friend who's like okay. helping him being an aeronaut. Perfect. Never watched charming. that. Yeah. Um, right. Well, here's the thing that the aeronauts was a movie that was made only to be seen in IMAX. That thing is practically right. educational. It's like when you yes. went as a school group to see the the IMAX movie about Everest. It's yeah. just this gorgeous insane sky photography stuff and then amazon has it and they're like yeah. oh we have to release an imax i guess we will but just catch it on amazon so obviously nobody saw it well Who's david i'm very confused do that? 
Are you saying that Amazon did something wrong? That <laughs> Jen Salky, head of Amazon Studios, perhaps overpaid on a late night and Britney runs a marathon without knowing how to market either one because Griffin. she had no experience releasing yeah. a film in theaters. And so when both of them over underperformed, her takeaway was, I guess, movie theaters are dead. And so yeah, she took yeah. a movie that was designed exclusively for IMAX and put it on a streaming service because she refused to acknowledge that she was the one who fucked up the releases. Look, Griffin, all I'm just you just you can't deny that Britney ran that marathon. She did. She sure. And the night, and the night was late. And the night was late. <laughs> no, you can deny everything about that one. But you can't. Britney you did can't. run that marathon. The night was late. <laughs> Just the thing at the end of Britney runs, which I saw at Sundance, which I believe won the audience award at Sundance. Yeah. Have you seen Britney runs a marathon? Yes. You know, at the end where it's like, and here's the real Britney running the marathon, and I'm like. What do I fucking care? She's just a person who ran a marathon. Like stronger. I'm like, okay, the guy had no legs. Right. Good job by him. Her, it's just right. like she ran a marathon. I don't know. I could, you know, whatever. Lots of people run marathons. It's, they it's all get weird. movies. It's weird how much they sort of centered the based on a true story in the marketing campaign of the movie where I'm like, yeah, I that was my guess was it was based on the director's friend. It just has that vibe. Right. It's not like he read in the newspaper like, oh, this is good material for a movie. This absolutely reeks of, huh, I could make a movie about my friend. Because it's like, oh, oh, she ran a method. Did what was she ill? Well, no, she's just kind of like a fuck up. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, was everyone in her family dead? No, they, no, it's she just whatever. She was just in her 20s and kind of yeah. annoying. She's like a griffin in the first act. And by the third <laughs> act, she's a little more of a David. Oh, God. Anyway, uh, so but good for we love him. Ash Patel. That's the we point. love him. We enjoy we him. love him. He's great. Um, those are huge bars of gold. Yeah, they're real big. Like, here's the question. And what's up with that? Like, what do you do with that gold? Well, so, okay, here's the question. Okay, and Forky and I were discussing this. Say mm. you're some airport worker. You yeah. see a bunch of gold. Do you yeah. take oh. one? Definitely. But then Absolutely. what do you do with it? What, do you what are you going to do well, with this fucking then thing? Then you got to start asking around. Do you know, do you have a gold guy? You know, can I melt this down? Like, I mean, that's what I would do. <laughs> yeah, I see Ben just like putting it in a frying pan and being like, will this work? <laughs> <laughs> it's, or it's like all- taking it in my backyard and hitting it with the hammer. Yeah. It's also such a creepy billionaire thing to be like, oh, money? No, 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 that stuff's bullshit. That's what poor people use. <laughs> right. I only use inverted gold bars. Right. Right. Because it's future. like, right. He's sending gold back to his poor young self because it's like, oh, this currency is never going to be out of style. But also, there is this sort of insider thing where it's like, you got to be rich to understand how to. <laughs> Spend gold. Spend this. Right. You can't you can't just bring a gold brick into a Dwayne Reed. <laughs> Go to a bodega. Like, can you break a bullion? Can you- right. And they're all those weird, like, you know, like strip mall businesses of like gold for cash. But they're they're waiting for you to bring in like a, a hammock a schlemmer like watch in exchange for like forty dollars. If you brought in a gold brick, they'd call the cops on you. <laughs> um, so yes, they do. Right, the diversion for their airplane thing is they dump a bunch of gold on the tarmac. It rules. But Kenneth Branagh as Sator, mm-hmm. Sator, whatever you want to call him, mm-hmm. as we said, he was in Dunkirk. Quite a lovely performance by him in Dunkirk, actually. Mm-hmm. Sentimental, um, Branagh. In yep. this, it's like it's like Nolan saw his performance in Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit and was like a lot 
bigger, please. Your like, your favorite performance. <laughs> yes. And that performance is fucking so much ham. And this just makes it look like the most like nuanced, like fucking Dogman 95 ass, <laughs> you know, like this <laughs> bit of realism. He's I mean, I really, I really enjoy him in this movie. I don't uh, know yeah. what you guys thought of uh, his No, whole I vibe. do too. This I mean this is this is fine uh, finely cut, finely aged ham. I mean it, it is just uh I I think he understands exactly what the movie is asking of him. I mean his career has just become so weird now because of his resurgence as a director and the gulf between like like why why did you do Artemis Fowl? Like have you now become really into Fabergé eggs or something? But then him <laughs> That's doing That's the inexplicable one. Right. Right, but then but but Jack Ryan too. I mean the Poirot movies yeah. it's like he wants to direct those primarily so that he can be Poirot. Like, it feels yeah. like he's far more engaged on the being Poirot side of things than the directing Agatha Christie novel side of things. Uh, and he keeps on talking about how his Poirot is like a younger, more virile Poirot, even though he's now <laughs> yeah. the, the oldest guy to ever play Poirot. <laughs> That's the thing. He And it was the same when he played Hamlet, when he was like yeah. 44. And yeah. you're like, isn't Hamlet supposed to be like 20? And he's like, yeah, but my Hamlet fucks. Like, right. Like, my Hamlet's going to get all up in Kate Winslet's boobs. Uh, the guy has <laughs> aged well, right? Like he's still extraordinarily guy, handsome. Yes. But every time he takes on a role, he's like, my take was to make him young and sexy. <laughs> yeah. Like I want to be the, the uh, sort of like not your grandfather satyr, a kind of young, more virile satyr. And you're like, motherfucker, you're the first guy to play satyr. You don't have to constantly make it seem like you're sexier than the guy who came before you. But I will say that is kind of the vibe of this performance where yes, he's it's Nolan's kind of almost making fun of him because he's like so anxious that like the first thing he says to john david washington is like are you fucking my wife like it's yeah. like they don't even say hello yes he's, and he's, he's got so that afraid of getting cocked he's got that extended uh uh dialogue stretch that is it's the thing never before in nolan's filmography have i had a harder time imagining nolan typing these words out himself right nolan Where probably like, working on some... your balls and i put them in your throat yeah right that i, I think you choke on your own balls i'm just like imagining christopher nolan by candlelight you know wearing like a, a long sleeping cap on some gas powered fucking typewriter typing in um, yes what if I cut open the, your throat and put the balls in the throat and you choked on your own balls, yes. Yeah, Sator is, for a, a billionaire who exudes class and sophistication, he's kind of a, a nasty little asshole, right? Yeah, I mean. yeah that's, that's how I describe him. If Sator had his own character poster, it would be Kenneth Branagh, the nasty little asshole. <laughs> Well, he's like new money, but like future yes. money. Yeah, you know? he's new he's, future poisoned radiation yeah. money. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> His money is so new it hasn't even happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Because uh, yes, that is the thing. He's just this Russian kid who dug up a bunch right. of gold from the future and some instructions because, on how to make time travel technology. But it's because he sent that to himself, right? I believe so, but we don't know. I mean, there's a certain yeah. point at which we're like, God knows who originally, originally, originally. Right. But yes, yes, it's it's as you say, it's the it's the Bill and Ted 
Right. Uh, if as long as I remember to send myself gold bars, then I'll have gold bars for the whole for my whole life. Right. You know. Right. Like it's interesting. There, there's stuff I know I didn't get in this movie, uh, but then there's stuff where I thought earlier. I I I thought in an earlier point. Oh, I guess we're supposed to know this as a given, and then later it would be revealed. And I would be unclear as to whether I was ahead of or behind the eight ball. Okay. Like, like very early on, I was like, oh, the implication, we're supposed to just uh, uh, ascertain that John David Washington is the one who hired Robert Pattinson. And then that's treated as something of a final reveal at the end of the movie. I mean, yes, it is a final reveal. I, I don't know if I think you're smarter or what, not smarter, but whatever. You're you're maybe more keyed into this than some. But yeah, like. But I want to make it clear. I, I was I also felt incredibly right. dumb watching this. There's a ton of but shit like, I, I absolutely did not get. It, it, it There is right. There's that f- sort of fun, puzzly idea of he's recruited into an organization he founded. The the, the movie starts with him being right. like, anyway, it's this thing called Tenet. And of course, right. The ultimate thing is he is Tenet. He created right. tenant like he is the protagonist, as he tells us. I guess that's I mean, that's the way, you know, like just watching Christopher Nolan movie. I'm like, he's not going to have any loose ends. He's going to tie everything in, whether or not it makes logical sense. He's going yes, he to want this that. thing neatly arranged. So yeah. just anytime there was any sort of lingering question, I would just assume in my head that must loop back to the one thing that's already on screen, you know? Yes. So. When there's a lot of business with Sator, Becky tries to push him off a boat and Washington saves him. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, she didn't do that. I did that myself. Oops. Ha <laughs> Silly me. Like, he won't even admit that his wife hates him. Yeah. Um, and eventually, whatever. Sator's like, go get me this fucking shit I want. He claims it's plutonium. We know it's actually just part of this doomsday device. Mm-hmm. And there's this crazy truck heist where they sandwich... A fire truck or whatever they're sandwiched or something and you know and they they go in and get it right like there's a mm-hmm. heist that happens it's a heist set piece with cars that's fine mm-hmm. but then at the same time Sator is like in a dark place being like tell me everything that happens and there's backwards cars going through all of this yeah and then Sator shows up at the end of this car chase wearing a mask and being backwards and, you know, this is where the movie, you know, Memento style, and we should mention Memento, obviously, one of Nolan's first movies, has kind of a forward backward structure and mm-hmm. begins with a shot that is literally reversed mm-hmm. and all that. Like he's literally using these tricks he did on the cheap, you know, 20 years ago. Um, But this is where the movie meets itself. And we have this crazy scene in the proving room in the the red and blue crazy uh, time tunnel place, this place mm-hmm. where Sator is talking backwards. And I think this is, this is where a lot of people truly are like, okay, I don't even know what they're saying. Ah, get the fuck out of here. And then of course, Aaron Taylor Johnson shows up right at the end of it. It's like temporal pincer movement, mate. And I think that some people understandably are like, can the movie end now? Well, now it's like, he's got an elite squad. Here's this like, they have this weird revolving door thing they start setting up, which is the how you can right, move back and forth, which to me just feels like, do you remember the old, like, uh, of course, this is the thing I'm going to fucking invoke, but like the mm-hmm. old uh, Batcave play sets 
where sure. like you could transform Bruce Wayne into Batman and sure. it was like, oh, here's a little fucking roundabout mm-hmm. and you put one figure on one about. side, one on the other. There, there was something to that that I just found so endearingly goofy where it's just like this looks like a mechanism in like a Star Trek like holodeck playset or some shit or the Batcave, but it's done with like the utmost Christopher Nolan po-faced seriousness it is very po-faced i cannot deny it i mean there's nothing more po-faced that i think that sequence is kind of cool and nightmarish where he's like yelling at him backwards and he shoots yeah. his wife backwards but then it ends and then aaron taylor johnson bursts in and is like chill out mate chill out mate it was a temporal pincer movement you know and starts and you're like oh we're like oh right chris nolan is back like other chris right. nolan is back uh to talk to us again um, but now, like, my whole sense of time in this movie is disrupted. Uh, n- not just I'm saying the the sense of the timeline in the movie, but also just, like, how long has this movie been going? I don't know if we're right. at the end or we're towards the middle or whatever. But this is pretty much, like, the midpoint narratively where the rest of the movie becomes about doing the flip side of everything right. you've already seen. Right? This I mean, is where the movie yes. kind of folds. I talked to Alex Ross about this movie a lot, and he was like... Humble right. That Right. Uh, yeah. And he was like, right, this is the moment where he was and he likes the movie, but he was like, yeah, this it is. I can't. He's going to do it again. Nolan's going to do the thing he did with Inception and Interstellar or whatever, where he has this sort of third act that falls into place. Right. And it's like, wow, we're about to watch John David Washington go backwards through a movie we just watched. And it's going to be yeah. so cool. Yeah. And so he does that. He goes backwards. He goes there's he's in the car chase again, going backwards. That's cool. And then he gets on a shipping container and he goes to the uh, the airport and he's Mm -hmm. obviously turns out to be the backwards man in that. And that's cool, too. It's a great idea. And I'm sure that's the crux of the idea that Nolan's always had. Right. Like, what if you had a movie, you played it forwards and then someone went through it the other way? It does Very not cool. feel it does not feel as aesthetically triumphant as it does in Inception. But I also think right. that gets to the idea of just like this is to a certain degree. This movie is him trying to be like, I can do Inception without all the emotions and the like overly dramatic character backstories. But also I'm going to prove to you why that is a value in something like Inception, because this <laughs> guy, the only thing that's driving him is that Martin Donovan told him that he should do this shit. Right. Well, and then no, you have the Elizabeth Becky character. Right. Who, he's we should talk save, about Becky a right. little bit. But like Becky feels like him also Nolan doing this retort to, oh, I always it's always a dead wife. The main female in every movie doesn't exist anymore right and is just existing (laughs) as a driving force for the lead man who is haunted by her whether it's bruce wayne's mother you know or like uh, cobb's wife wife. right 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 right. you know and obviously in the marion cotillard right interstellar like you know has two female characters of note in the film but still is a guy haunted by a dead wife and how that fucks up his family dynamic and shit like that sure and this he's like the wife's gonna be alive trust me guys i got it note taken note received the wife is gonna be alive she is haunted by the fear that her son is gonna die (laughs) right and then the son sort of becomes the wife in this and the son is like supposed to be the emotional driving force for her and by proxy that's supposed to be the emotional driving force for protagonist who is trying to help her but the son like doesn't even register he's just some fucking kid he's just some fucking kid but it also 
time. it does it once again keys into like a nolan limitation where it's like he cannot think of a woman existing outside of a family structure absolutely and also i mean there's there's this bananas line that you know would get studio noted you know if you were a lesser director where they're like yeah you know if he activates this doomsday device it's the end of the world and she's like including my son and it's like yeah, including your yeah. son. The yeah. end of the world. Yeah, your yes. son's in the world. You don't need to clarify that for the audience. Yeah, we including get your that son. you don't want him to die. Right. Also, Potbelly Sandwich Shop will go out of business. Like, what, what you, what, we could sit here for eight hours extrapolating everything else it would be the end of. And she, Debecky is an actress I love. We both oh. love her. Yeah, she, I think me. she's good in this movie. I think Nolan has a lot of fun letting her be, you know, tower over. Uh, I was the male say. actors in the movie. He lets there's her be tall. Right. There's this incredible scene where she, I mean, during the action sequence where she can open the front door of a car from the back seat simply by stretching her legs. Yep. Um, I think she's I think she's really good. I think she's, you know, uh, right, rising to the challenge and all that. But yes. Uh, you know, everything you're saying is accurate. He he can't help but have kids and family and shit i mean it's the same right. inception yeah he it, it's not even just that it's the female it's just like he can't it, it's just he's such a he's so basic in, in a I way was gonna right say, like, I mean, that's yeah well, it's the same thing like we you and i've talked about this a lot that we find really fascinating about uh, uh apatow where it's just like right these guys who just can't get over how much they love their wife and kids <laughs> And Apatow, right? yes, absolutely. And Apatow, like all of their like, movies are are them showing you family pictures and being like, "I would die for them." <laughs> right? And with Nolan, he's like, "I'm going to make this movie, and it's going to be about heroes saving the world." But yeah. it's also going to be about them saving their families. Like every time he makes that right. some version of that, but just like how Apatow is like. You know, there's this guy in here. There's this person. They're so interesting, and their life is so weird. And, the, you know, there's all kinds of crazy shit going on. And at the end of the day, what they need to do is just kind of settle down and grow up a little bit. You know, like, it's just he can't help but tail off to right, that. Right. And I also feel like people will will smack them with being like, oh, it's like heteronormative bullshit. Like, they're so obsessed with, like, maintaining this conventional family unit. And it's like, I don't think they're upholding anything. I think it's just they they're both incredibly strange guys who cannot believe that their wives are still with them. Like, I do <laughs> think there's a degree of, of that, right? I mean, you hear all these stories about Nolan. It's like, Nolan, his wife is his producing partner, right? Thomas, like, yes. they work together on everything. He doesn't have a cell phone, right? He doesn't have an email. He, he just lives in his little house. to not have a cell phone. I bet right. you at dinner parties, everyone rolls their eyes. They're all like, when's he going to say it? It's like me saying I grew up in Britain. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> it's like everybody's just like, when's Chris going to say he doesn't have a cell phone? And Chris is yeah. like, oh, I don't really know about that because I don't know. And they're like, oh, my God, we know. We know. Sorry. But it also feels like that's, I mean, when, when, I've, re when I've read interviews with him where he brings it up, it's very much about like maintaining, like preserving the sanctity of his time with his family. Absolutely. I mean, I think, by the way, it's totally fine. He doesn't need to have a fucking cell phone. And it's great. And it seems like he really cares about his family. I don't mean to make fun of any of that. No, Generally no, I'm just saying yes, like it, it just, blah, blah, it just blah, yeah. feels like unfortunate that I think the genuine emotion he feels for his family 
always either gets pushed onto the female characters in his movies or the right. family is dead and the man is haunted by not having them anymore because that's Absolutely. the worst Twilight Zone scenario he can imagine. Um, and, and Interstellar feels like a step forward, honestly, right? Because like His best Hathaway and Chastain have more agency. It is kind of crazy how well uh, Interstellar has aged. I don't know about it's you, but I just feel like people were disappointed when it came out. And yes, now I, I think yes. it's commonly accepted as like we, we were too hard on that movie at the time. Yeah, I think Interstellar and Prestige are the ones that like have, you know, grown the most, mostly just yeah. because those were the relative quote unquote disappointments. Yeah compared to the insane success of the Batman movies and Inception. Um, Prestige is still my number one. You you fully converted me on Interstellar, though, and it might be my number two now. Um, So fucking good. But yeah, that was a step forward. Dunkirk has no women. And then this movie, it's like a real one step forward, two steps back kind of thing. Dunkirk is one of those things that that's what it's like. No, that's not his best movie, I suppose. But it's kind of the best movie. Like, that's a thing that's just unique in his filmography, I would say. And unique in recent movie making. That thing is incredible. But the, but then this feels very much like following those lines, right? Like Dunkirk mm. gets into that, like, I mean, it, the abstraction of like character yes. and time and narrative. Yeah, no, it's, and then, you're right. It's true. It's right. True. And it gets away with that because you're like, well, it's like it's grounded in a very solemn real life event, real tragedy, real experiences. So all yeah. the Nolan timey wimey bullshit doesn't feel like him just like getting off on his toys. And then this is him trying to like apply the aesthetics and and the sort of uh, construction of Dunkirk onto something like Inception. I'm I'm very curious to see what he does next after this, since this is obviously going to be such a big inflection point for him. I think it will be. I assume so. I also genuinely imagine it would be hard for him to go bigger at a certain point. No. Like after Dunkirk, I wondered if he'd go smaller. And after this, I wonder, you know, right. Like, you know, does he... I don't know. I don't know. I have no what idea. What if he's like, oh, God, I'm doing World War Z, too. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's Guys, the, way it's the just, one. If you want to make a movie over $200 million, you got to sign on to do that at some point. I really want to explore the Green Lantern course, guys. It's just, this is the time. I, mean, I was looking at IMDb. Do you know this whole fucking fan thing where when the movie was announced and there were no further details, people were like, he's doing it. Nolan is doing Green Lantern. John David Washington is playing John Stewart. <laughs> what? Did they literally only think that because John David Washington is black? Was yes. there any other reason? reason to think that probably not i guess it's warner brothers like that's about Robert it Pattinson is hal jordan elizabeth debecky is carol ferris people spread that rumor that's very funny you know what i rewatched yeah. recently green lantern that movie is so funny to rewatch because it is the end the absolute end of uh, non-connected superhero movies and it's not good but it's, no, it's so terrible. hilariously quaint where it's it, just it, like, there's no stakes. And it's just like, ah, oh, there's a guy and he's going to get a thing and he's going to learn some lessons and he'll be a hero. Like, and like, and he's going to defeat the villain. The end. Like, no stakes at all. But David, is that not the most damning 
thing in the world that oh i'm not saying it's good it's bad no no but i'm saying that that shit has gotten so out of control that now whatever it is eight years later green lantern looks quaint yeah that like is, everyone's oh, criticism at the time was like this movie is so overblown these like fucking superhero franchises like they, they, they why can't these movies be kind of focused and fleet-footed and now you look at it and you're like it's like this minimalist little object only because these things have gotten more and more overblown the end of tenet so okay all right so they they um satchel yada yada okay whatever they they, they, they figure they, he, play, he runs through most of the movie backwards but it's a lot more yeah. haunted and it doesn't feel as you know you don't have your fucking joseph gordon levitt uh, uh, hallway fight you know pumping your fists like the no, score booming kind of moments everything feels uh uh, less fun. Uh, although I had a lot of fun watching the movie, but it's like he's not Ooh. looking for. It's it's a cooler film, like cool to the touch. I yeah, think. no, no, it is. It's cool. It's a colder Much like film. Fire in the backwards world is. Cool. Oh, uh, sure, yes. Uh, fire um, uh, backwards is cold. It's icy cold. I don't know if you noticed, but there's this character called Wheeler who uh, is the lady who explains the rules of backwards to him when she's Fiona, like, Fiona Duriff. Right, uh, it's Brad Duriff's daughter. Yeah, uh, and uh, a, f- a good actress that I enjoy. Uh, I'll was, say this: uh, I, 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 I what? No, where are you gonna say? Sorry, wasn't she in the most recent Chucky or uh, uh, Chucky? She she was in the last two Chucky films, and right. I, she was very good in both of them. And I I will say this: zero chill. I matched with her on Raya. Fuck. And I messaged Holy her, shit. and I what I want to say: this was a while ago. I already yeah, I fucked remember. this I, up I, I uh, sure. with the story I'm about to tell, but I messaged her and I intended to say, I thought your performances were really good in, in the, in the Chucky movies. And instead I wrote, uh, I thought your performances were really good in the cucky movies. And I just, I couldn't recover from that. I, I was so in my head. <laughs> I thought you were really good in those cucky movies. <laughs> She's like, what? You, you're some cuck guy. Get the fuck, yeah. oh, Jesus! No, I meant Chucky. Okay, all right. And I already felt like, does she want some guy telling her she was good in the Chucky movies? But then I Probably made it so not. much worse by making it seem like it was some fucking <laughs> porn thing. Yeah, she doesn't want either. So instead, I made the the slightly better thing seem worse by initially framing it as the worst thing. Hey, I thought you were good in the Cucky movies. I mean, Chucky. But now that I mentioned it, like that, yeah. that's what she thinks you're about to do. Right. Oh, uh, accidental typo. But uh, have you ever considered? Uh... <laughs> anyway. She's very anyway. good in this movie. Yeah. She's good in this movie. I, I just, but I like it's also style. one of these funny Christopher Nolan things where like, I watch those movies. I'm a fan of her work. I watched this. I did not realize it was her until the end credits because of the way this film is structured. She's all, you know, in a, right. Masked in a up and everything's and moving yeah. so fast. Yeah. Aaron Taylor Johnson, who is uh, oh. traditionally one of my least favorite actors working today, is just not my tempo. But I've started to like him a little more as I think he's leaned into his innate unlikability. I want to say this. Yeah, because I have been really rude about him. Uh, maybe I, I can't remember if I've done it on the yeah, podcast, but certainly almost I don't. Definitely, I've never liked I, him. I go off. I, I am nothing but rude towards him. Um, I've never really liked him. I've always found him kind of smarmy on screen. Yes, like I yes. kind of liked him. 
in movies like Anna Karenina that use the smarminess, but still like I just, you know, you know, he's just never my favorite. I was sort of relieved yeah. when he died off in the Avengers movie because I was like, great, he's not going to stick around. That's fine. Because I'll just uh, say up until this point, the things like Albert Nobbs or Anna Karenina or whatever, where they try to use the smarminess, I'm still like too much. Yeah, too right. Exactly. Much. And uh, you know, I found him to be an active drag in shit like uh, Nocturnal Animals, which some people liked him in. Um, but last a couple years ago, he was in Outlaw King, and now in Tenet, where he's doing kind of the patents that he's bearded, he's gruff, mm-hmm. he's not looking for star billing, like he's kind of buried in the credits of both of those movies. And I dig what he's doing, and I don't know if he's just kind of like sanded some of this charm off or something. I don't know. It's good. Yeah, I don't know. I just always found him very mannered and self-satisfied on screen. And this is one of the few times where I just felt like, oh, he's just he's just serving the movie. Absolutely. Uh, he plays Ives, right? He, who, 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 you know, coins the term temporal pincer movement. He says a really fun temporal pincer movement. Uh, yeah. And at the end of the movie, they do a temporal pincer movement because they need to get the doomsday device. Uh, they need to get it before Sator dies. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to go to this buried secret city and grab it. And they're going to go forwards and backwards. But unfortunately, their enemy is also going to go forwards and backwards. So even though they can find out what happened, their enemy is also going to find out what happened. And this thing looks that this whole sequence looks incredible. God mm-hmm. knows where they shot it, but it's some, you know, insane blasted landscape. There's all kinds of wild shit going on where buildings like blow up and then reassemble and then blow up again. You know, like there's all this crazy stuff happening. I've seen this movie three times. I don't really know what's happening. Like, you know, I don't know if I'm supposed to. Obviously, it's like super chaotic. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. In the middle of all this, John David Washington like has a conversation with Kenneth Branagh on a walkie talkie. Uh, which is also just funny. Like in the middle of all this chaos, he's like, come on, it's better to try and save the world. And, and Brana's like, no, I hate, no, it's, it's over, it's all over. Ah, we're all going to die. Ha ha ha. You know, like that's just happening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pattinson's character is at this point going backwards and forwards, like multiple times through the whole action sequence. He sacrifices himself to save the protagonist, but also he's alive. Like mm-hmm. there's all kinds, you know, and whatever. I think that it's pretty valid to be like, look, for all the chaos you want to present, I do. I would like to know what's going on. And it's very hard to know what's going on. But I don't know. I'm cool with vibes. Like, I forgive it. And also, like, in in comparison to a movie like Inception, which makes you do all the work in the beginning so that you're just floating through the last hour. This is a movie that every five minutes is like, okay, now take out your pen and pencil again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but still, you know, whatever. I love it. And more importantly, well, there's two things. One, I love Elizabeth Debicki shooting Kenneth Branham and slip and sliding him out of the boat. That's great. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. Um, but two, I just love the thing we already talked about, the final conversation where they're like, you know, in the end of the day, mate, we're mates. That's what's going on. That's really what yeah. this has all been about. Yeah, I'm the real mate. tenant was love. <laughs> between men as friends but maybe more who knows we get into li- some stuff i have to say i'm a little worried because i know i tend to dive headfirst into this shit and you tend to avoid it but when you talk about like 
the cultural effect that movies can have, right? Uh, sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, the negative ways they oh, can be sure, interpreted. Sure. You, you, you worry about this more than right. Yeah, interpreted yeah. and then and, and weaponized by a public once they're released from the hands of the filmmaker, right? And and the movie takes on a life of its own. I I do. I'm a little worried about uh, kids, you know, seeing this movie and trying to execute their own temporal pincer movements. I do. I do think that that could be potentially a, a problematic trend. What could be a problematic trend? Now I got to repeat the joke that didn't land. <laughs> I don't know. Just say it backwards and it'll be better this time. This is teenagers doing temporal pincer <laughs> movements on TikTok. <laughs> you insane person. It was just one of those Griffin jokes where I'm like, He's now just enjoying how long it's taking to get to it. Like that now that's oh, that he's just this in is that. the problem. I've been doing <laughs> that bit <laughs> where I make the wind up for the joke longer and longer. And so I started doing the wind up for this one, and five seconds in you were like, Cool, I'm gonna catch up on emails. And then I I made this wind up shorter to try to combat that, but you were gone. You were already checked out. You had given yourself five minutes, assuming it would take me that long to get to my punchline. I, I was I was assuming look, I'm not gonna say what I was assuming, but what's important is we should do a temporal pincer movement on this podcast. I'm gonna go backwards through it and tell myself everything about it. Just so yeah. I know in the beginning what to expect. I think it's I think that's how we should do podcasts from now on. I have a turnstile in my house, of course. Uh for this very purpose. I hope people weren't looking to this episode uh, to to have the movie explained. Tenet explained. Look, if you want to go on Reddit, there's all these fucking subway maps people have drawn where it's like, yeah. here's, you know, what Sator does, and here's, you know, here's where they go backwards, and here's where they go forwards again. Like, you can see all that. It's like uh, Primer yeah. or whatever. Like, I don't know. Yeah. You'll, and you'll I mean, watch it again. But I'll say, like, Primer is a movie. I mean, granted, I saw it when I was fucking 15 or whatever, but that was a movie where I just threw my hands up and was like, I, I, can't, I cannot. I that was cannot. absolutely my reaction to it. But isn't it one of those movies that people like to try and solve? Like, there is, yeah. there's like, there is a way to figure out what's going on in terms of all the timelines of Primer. But this is a movie that makes me want to solve it. Like, there's enough on a yeah, surface no, they, level that I'm less, vibing on yeah. that I want to do the work, as opposed to primer which just feels like a spiteful challenge by a spiteful man uh david is holding up his tenant steel book it looks great it's shining in the light i can't wait to get it i i put in my order today uh it is interesting that the whole like second half of this movie is action sequences with people wearing masks uh which is supposed to be the big visual signifier that like oh they're from the other the other time stream they're backwards people but now it just feels like well yes they're wearing masks like all responsible citizens do that's how we know who the good guys are isn't it weird that we wear masks all the time it's so weird it's it's so weird this is all so weird let's play the box office game unless there's anything else you want to say about tenet uh, the suits look really good. The suits look incredible. I love uh, Dimple Kapadia. I think she's really fun. She's yeah. got good energy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That's so. That's cool. I think all the reverse fighting is fucking awesome. You just like a backwards fight. It looks so weird. Like, and I don't know how yeah. he choreographed it all. 
I I I don't know. I don't know how they did most of this movie, and I don't know what most of this movie. They uh, filmed means. stuff forwards and backwards at the same time. They did shit like that. I don't really. Sure. I need to watch like the special features on this thing. I feel like they'll probably get into all that, right? David Chen was, I think, I saw on Twitter yesterday, like trying to cut the movie together every time they do. You see a scene from a different way to sync up the two versions with each other. Uh, so maybe by the time we've uh, uh, released this episode, he's posted that online. I'd be interested to watch like fan cuts like that. This is the thing, right? The, 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 the surface has only been scratched in terms of like the nerdy fans who are going to get yeah. all over this thing because it just came out on fucking DVD and all that. So, right. Like, yeah, it's, it's just also so weird to have a movie of this size that people want to like crack into that just sort of like kind of came out four months ago. You it know, it's weird. It's very weird. It's crazy to me too, that Christopher Nolan has made a career on being part of the conversation for college kids and stoners. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Where it's yeah. just like, he's, he just, he has this whole filmography where it's basically people are just like, man, you gotta fucking like, you gotta read into this fucking thing, man. It fucks <laughs> with your head. And he himself seems like the least trippy guy in the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. For sure. He, it's true. That's the, that's the funniest thing about it all. He is this fucking British garden gnome. I mean, he's a, you know, good looking guy who wears a nice jacket, but like, no. it's like, you, it's so crazy to think about him thinking about fucking turnstiles that make you backwards. Balls <laughs> in your throat. Balls. Yeah. yeah. The balls. <sighs> that's, the, that's the one I can't get over. Okay. Let's play the box office game. Uh, it's just weird to think about. Like, I, I just remember reading box office pro, uh, projections uh, the weekend before, the week before this movie came out, and people were like, estimate, I don't know, 10 to $50 million? <laughs> Final total, 60 to 300 Like, people just had no sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this thing ended up making about 60 domestic, 360 worldwide. It did very well in China. It cost 205 um, It's I Yeah, think, it was expensive. The most expensive original film of all time? Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, and it opened, you know, on Labor Day weekend to $20 million, but that was actually like a week's worth of preview screenings getting folded into it, right? You know, right. it wasn't just a four-day weekend. They kind of resisted uh, revealing the number, which is when you realize like, oh, they're clearly uh, underwhelmed because they had put yes. it in Canada a week earlier and then right. they sort of soft-released it on Monday and their plan was to roll all of that together and and present that as the opening weekend and the hope was that it would be something well over 30 and then it kind of just came in right under 20 Right. And then it was number one for five weeks in a row. I mean, you know, again, in a world where the fucking pandemic did not surge again, which is not yeah. the world we live in. Yeah. Maybe, you know, there was all this notion the, from the analysts. Like, yeah, it'll be like a road show. Like people will see it in different places at different times as things get better and it'll just play in theaters well, for months. Right. Like this is the plan, right? That was the question was like, can it make $10 million a week for three months? Right. And then exactly, people right. would have been happy. But Nolan also had all these weird rules where he like didn't want it playing at drive in theaters and shit. He he didn't let it play at drive ins where there weren't theaters. So like it didn't play at New York area drive ins. It's it, so you take New York and L.A. out of the equation, which are traditionally right. the two biggest movie going cities in America. Right. I mean, obviously, you're not going to make much money on a drive in. I mean, the other thing is that I 
can't imagine seeing this movie to drive in. It's it would be incomprehensible. But yeah. But who cares? There was a weird touchiness about the release of this movie that was a bad idea considering that you're trying something here. Like yeah. the worst thing to be if you're fucking trying something is to have all these rules. But Christopher Nolan just, loves rules. I think people were really caught up on this idea that like there's going to be some weekend where it's safe to go to the movies again. And there's going to be so much pent up demand and everyone's going to go to the theater with bells on. And they right. tried. They they said like maybe that weekend will be here by like September. And then when it was clear that it wasn't. They were like, what if we can f- just make it happen? Right. Well, the other thing that happened, um, and again, this is sort of hard to remember, hard, crazy to think about, is that international theaters were screaming more than, yes. even more than American theaters for releases. Because right. they were like, and, we right. are open. Like, we need to show movies. Our cases are down. Right. That was the big thing was like, could we have a major blockbuster come out in Europe and just be undated in America? Right. And so there and then there's all this worry about piracy or whatever. But like, you know, yeah. but yeah, no, that's the whole thing. And so they were like, okay, they announced it. They were like, we're gonna release Tenet in mid August around the world. And we're gonna release it in America on Labor Day so the theaters have time to get ready. Uh, and it'll open wherever it can in America. And America, because it was mostly states run by maniacs who wanted yeah. to please Donald Trump, were like, everything's open. Everyone can right. do whatever they want. American theaters were like two extra weeks. Yeah, yeah. No, they'll give us enough time. Two extra weeks. I think everything will be good by then. Cool, cool, cool. Let's talk in two weeks. Yeah. So anyway, it opened to $20 million. But Griffin, what was number two at the box office? Number two at the box office. Now, this is a little trickier because all the other clear blockbusters of the pandemic come out after this. What is unhinged number two? That is number three. Unhinged, wow. which uh, was the sole hit of pandemic season in a weird way, uh-huh. uh, is number three. Because that came out late August, I guess, or, or early August. I can't remember. It was the first new movie in theaters, right? And and Solstice yes. Studios, its distributor, has now already started collapsing in real time. Uh, that's funny. I did not know. That. I mean, that's not funny. There were like three different jobs, but... stories today on Deadline. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, have have you haven't seen it yet? I'm assuming Griffin. I have not yet gotten unhinged. No, I'm I want fully you to hinged check it at out. this it's point. A, I think I it's I think it. it's a somewhat deplorable movie, but it it Crow just as a big man that you're afraid of yeah. is pretty compelling. Um, it's got stuff sort of. It's like a really shitty slashery movie but i don't know there's like it's just it's just that he's an a-list talent i guess uh yeah yeah and and, and look it's it's all a dry run for uh kong right for donkey kong of course that's he really he is close to kong physicality in that one he's you know anyway no number two griffin is another blockbuster that was released um a week before tenet more of the classic uh covid movie thing uh where it was released almost so the studio was like yeah people won't see it good oh oh it's the new mutants right we can finally release this to nobody (laughs) no one can ever know it exists it is so funny that that movie just uh came out in the middle of a pandemic and did pretty well all considering like that's the other wild thing is that you're like the new mutants did one third as well as tenant which would never happen in any other timeline yes it did not do as well 
in other places where I guess there were other movies to see. But, it but people did look at Tenet and they're like... $23 million. Right. Tenet, they're like $60 million domestic. Oh, boy. Not in the middle of a pandemic. That movie would have soared past two hundred. And right. New Mutants, people are like, 23 domestic. They came out pretty well. That's probably the exact amount they would have made. <laughs> Not during a pandemic, right? I genuinely wonder what it would have made. That's, yeah. Um, but like, there, there's a yeah. chance it made less. There's a chance yeah, it made the exact same amount. And if it made more, it wouldn't have been by much. I need to see that movie. Yeah, I assume too. it'll be on Disney Plus or something at some point. Number four at the box office, Griffin, mm. is uh, the third film in a series that we talked about on this episode. Uh, is it a new movie or is it a re-release? It's a new movie, but it's it, we talked about this series. We talked about this series in this episode. It's a new movie. Uh, fuck, fuck. Is it a horror franchise? No, it's a sci-fi comedy. I think this oh, is a really nice movie. Uh, uh, yes, I agree with that. It's uh, uh, Bill and Ted uh, Save the World. Face the music is the face title. the music. Why do I, yes. I can't fucking remember the title? Yes, but uh, yes. do you agree? I, I feel like we've actually never talked about it, but I thought this was a really sweet and nicely done movie, and that uh, Keanu and Alex Winter are very like dialed in. Yeah, I really like it. Uh, I still feel like I've uh, just barely processed it in my uh, soup brain. But I I watched it the day it came out, and I enjoyed it uh, thoroughly. I like this franchise a lot. I think it's a good ending. It's a good movie. Uh, I just kind of already forgot that it existed. Um, But I don't think that's a strike against the movie. I think that's a strike against uh, uh, this bad year of being a person. Um, Number five is a movie that I forgot came out, but another blockbuster, I think really only played in Canada. Save the world. Why did I call it Bill and Ted Save the World? Okay. Well, they do save the world. I I know, but still. Uh, it's a children's film, an animated film. It's an animated children's film that mostly just came out in Canada. Yeah, hmm. I mean, I was, I assume, supposed to. It was supposed to have a big come, you know, release. But uh, yeah, is is it SpongeBob? Yes, SpongeBob. Yeah, Sponge on the Run. Right, SpongeBob only came out, only went to theaters in Canada. Is going to Netflix everywhere else in the world and Paramount Plus next year. Canada is the one country where it was released in theaters. I think. And its Canadian gross alone put it at number five uh, in the box office. What a weird fucking time. Pretty weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are the five. Yeah, because this is before the really, in you know, lots of re-releases. Yeah. So it's like Personal History of David Copperfield, another charming movie that, you know, just didn't get to be released. Uh, Words on Bathroom Walls, uh, Train to Busan Peninsula. The sequel. Yeah, like it's odd that this ten is like all new movies because after this point the theaters are open and the studios are scared and then it starts being like uh, number eight at the box office is Girls Trip. Right. Exactly. Yes. Hocus Pocus. Obviously. I mean. Right. There's. Yeah. No. It's weird. There's uh, that weird. N- n- number two is Ice Age Four. There was that weird chunk before then when like Relic was the number one movie for like a month. Mostly right. just playing in drive-ins. Or like uh, the, the Jesse Eisenberg Marcel Marceau movie. Yes, like they was just like, well, we gotta show something. Have you right. seen like, Relic? I, I, You'd like Relic. 
I haven't seen Relic. IFC yeah. had like 10 consecutive weeks at number one at the box office. IFC, I was The Wretched was the other one, which I watched. Right. It's not good. Relic is which, good. Is Relic the, the um, uh, no, okay. Didn't Romola Garay do one of those movies that was she number did. one at the it's box office? It's called Amulet. It absolutely okay. fucks so hard. Really? And you would love it. Amulet rules. I mean, it's like, it's got its problems, whatever. Yeah. Like, it's not a perfect movie. That was a movie I saw at Sundance because I had a gap and I was like, didn't Rob like Gary make a horror movie? I'll, I'll check that out. And like yeah. the opening seconds are just this like heavy metal font. And it's like amulet. And I'm like, all right, cool. Whatever this is great. And it's just, Ben, you would love it. You would love I it. I don't that. want to spoil Mate, anything. Carla Jury and Imelda Staunton. I had to see this shit. It's good. Imelda Staunton is a scary nun. Rules. I just watched nothing. Like I, the first three months of 2021 are going to be me just cramming nonstop for the Blanky Awards because well, all I've done this last year is watch sitcoms and cry. Watch the fucking Simpsons, you maniac. I've been watching Mary Tyler Moore now, too. Well, that's a good show. Yeah, show rules. <laughs> Luke Vance, my fucking man. Oh god, yeah, Luke Grant rules. I love Mary Tyler Moore. God, I have such a crush on her in that show. It's wild. Uh, I mean, come on, I'm a Rhoda guy. Uh, uh, well, Rhoda rules, but no. Rhoda Morgenstern. I just watched. There's a big anti-Semitism episode in season three. That's really good. Okay. Yeah, I think we remember that. Yeah, it's good. It's <laughs> it's called some some of my best friends are Rhodas. There you go. Some of my anyway, best friends are Rhodas. Uh. Tenet, that's our episode on Tenet, and uh, uh, we've we've done it. Uh, I hope you uh, enjoyed a little breakaway from Zemeckis. Um, I mean, obviously, this and Wonder Woman 2, and then we, we go back into the Zemeckis stream and finish out that miniseries. Yeah, baby. But it felt like these, these two big Warner Brothers uh, blockbusters finally coming out for home viewing... Uh, yep. At the end of 2021, 2020, it felt like uh, we should start off 2021 talking about them. I'm seeing Wonder Woman tomorrow. Oh, I'll boy. see. I hope it's good. Are you, are you seeing in a theater or are you getting sent to Link? I'm, no, I'm seeing on my television. No, no theaters. I never did a press screening. There were a couple times people were no. offering and I was like, no, I don't want to. Because I just don't know who's going to be in there with me, you know. That's my whole thing. Too. I, it's just like, yeah. I don't trust anybody. Like the only times I've ever even considered uh, like eating outdoors at a restaurant in my neighborhood is when no one else is there. Like yeah. it just even neighboring tables freaks me out. Yeah, neighboring tables. Anyway, I'm just <sighs> realizing Damn we it. should do an episode on Monster at some point too, because then we can just be all in on Patty Jenkins. I like that movie. I think it's a good movie. I've I haven't seen it since it came a, out. It'd be a, good, good to watch movie. it. I haven't seen it um, in years either. Well, folks, uh, this, of course, is Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. And it's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their career and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they invert. Baby, uh, <laughs> this is a, a one-off episode following up on Christopher Nolan our mini-series on uh, Christopher Nolan, the pod night cast from several years uh, back. And uh, all I have to say here is uh, I'll see you in the beginning. Podcast. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, 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 yeah.